0: You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focusing on the fringe of Atlantic Canada. Mysteries, crime, the paranormal, and the weird, all under the soft glow of the moon. Welcome. Now, here is your host, Jordan Boneparty.
1: It's coming across that way because I really... I don't consider myself an expert or like a researcher or anything. any of these things. I consider myself more as a a passionate observer. Okay, guys.
2: Welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We are going to be chatting with Jordan Boner Party a little bit later. That was a fun one. Um, But first, as always... Graham, why am I always the oldest guy at the rave, Dunlop? <laughs> How's it going, buddy? You excited?
3: I need to have to mention something about that. You, you just love you. that I'm 10 years older than you, eh? 11. 11. Yeah, you see your like, aren't you? You're like, I'm not going to want to be that guy's age. <laughs> it's not a rave. It's not a rave? It's not a rave. What's the website? Astral Harvest dot com yeah
2: astralharvest.com dot com so anyone at home can follow along if they like
3: no it's but there's a bunch of workshops and it art it's like a mini burning man in a way that's but i don't really know because i've never been there i don't think i've ever really been to a festival so it should be pretty cool actually looks,
2: from what i'm looking at it looks pretty ravey
3: it's a family thing. You're allowed it to bring kids and stuff like that. not
2: like a family
3: thing either. No, it, it is. It is.
2: I see. I get that you're saying that. I don't think you're lying to me on Look like at the
3: art workshops. The conferences. There's a whole bunch of conferences and workshops.
2: It's all, uh, what's it called? Musicians, eh?
3: No, it's not. There's a quite a variety of them to, as well. It's not just like an EDM music festival. I think it's more than that. There's
2: like fucking seventy bands. I know, crazy, eh? One's called Zack Attack.
3: Yeah, it looks pretty cool.
2: <laughs> looks like a rafe.
3: <laughs> so is, what if it was? Is, I would like to go if it was too. So is there
2: an about? I'm gonna see if there's an about. Nothing.
3: So, anyways, we got Jordan Bonaparte coming up. He's from back east in, in Halifax, I think, or is it Nova Scotia? Halifax, yeah. And uh, he's got a nighttime podcast, Is his podcast it's called, it's pretty cool, about true crime and strange stuff. It's got a great sort of interview style and really good concept, it's a little bit different.
2: Yeah, it was fun too. He's fun, he was a fun guest.
3: Yeah, fun guy?
2: He's a fun guy. You
3: were going to say that, weren't you?
2: He's a fun guy. Like a mushroom?
3: Speaking of fun guy, are you going to a rave this weekend with me?
2: No. (laughs) Nope. Do report back, though. I will. Do report back. You should do some periscoping.
3: I know. I was thinking, of, <laughs> how do I do that? Just go into Twitter and do No, it. no,
2: no, no, no. You stay out of the Twitter. <laughs> You're out. You <laughs> no, can, no, really. You can Instagram the ordeal.
3: Well, I will do that. There you go. But how do I periscope? If I go on Twitter, I could do it through that?
2: You don't periscope. That's the thing. I'll figure it out. Oh. i will change the password. on your, just <laughs> on your
3: toes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, who's this? What's going on? Why am I getting all these weird tweets? I'm changing the password. That's it. So how's it going with your little new, uh, you're all excited about something. My, my your, medical marijuana card? Yeah. I got my prescription. And being able to, to buy pot through the government? Yeah, I got my prescription last week. Congratulations. It's not through the
2: government. It's through private enterprise.
3: Well, it's blessed by the government. Blessed
2: by the government endorsed paid my appointment was paid for by
3: the government there you go
2: <laughs> so that helped and the,
3: and the standards are held up by the government aren't the they standard, like,
2: well i don't know about that it's but the standards are a lot higher than street for sure
3: so you're so you're excited about this because you have a choice now like you have basically oh, yeah, like I a menu a, you can choose I, from I like through a menu like amsterdam and the cafe it shows up
2: it says the exact thc content the exact cbd content and a little flavor profile
3: a flavor profile,
2: yeah.
3: And I, what is? Tell, tell me, give me an example of like, let's see. like hints of uh, hints of cherry and. Let's see what we got for the white widow. Is it pretty much like a wine tasting? So you're talking
2: everything from you know ten percent right up to thirty five percent THC.
3: Is that the maximum THC you can get? I'd imagine you can get more. So what would be like, like? What would be to? something like a nineteen eighties like black afghani or something like that? Probably or like. like Eight. Or like Maui Waui, something like 8%? I mean, 10, I don't know.
2: I've never had Maui Wowie. I didn't start smoking dope till the 90s. Where uh, I thought I had a picture of a bag.
3: I don't partake in that anymore, just to be clear. It comes we're not, in, we're, it, not, we're uh, both not a couple of stoners. Just it comes in a
2: child safe bag. Medicine. It's medicine. Oh,
3: medicine. That's what you're calling it?
2: Here it is. White Widow, 19.7% THC, 0.1% CBD, dried marijuana hybrid. Flavor profile, earthy, piquant, woody. (laughs) One of the world's most famous strains, this cross between a Brazilian sativa land race and an Indian indica is known to produce a powerful euphoria and energy. This strain may be beneficial for the treatment of pain, stress, insomnia, and fatigue. Seems like a bit of a fucking oxymoron to treat insomnia and fatigue, but...
3: uh, You're doing doing it for the stress? To reduce the stress? The stress. So where does your symptoms fit into that little medicinal profile?
2: (laughs) My actual prescription was uh, for insomnia, sciatica, and... Back pain.
3: Did you feel bad lying to the Two doctor about day. your insomnia?
2: No, she don't care, man. She's a little she's an old hippie doing God's work. <laughs> Maybe I'll see her at the Astral Harvest. That's actually what's her name? She's probably going. Doctor Mason. Okay. i gonna You see. should have her on the show. She's busy writing prescriptions, <laughs> man. <laughs> she's just pumping people through there. Bam, 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 two grams, so I get 60 grams a month. I can No,
3: I'm, I'm happy for you. I, I really do think it's it's beneficial.
2: And eight bucks a gram Just not for across me. the board. So let's see, from my one supplier, Aurora. So it's
3: cheaper and better quality?
2: Yeah. Wow. It's about the same price, better quality.
3: So better is this quality. compared to how they get it in the States then? Like one day delivery. One day delivery.
2: And this is Alberta-based, so we got Three Sisters Dairy Queen. Three sisters? Three sisters Dairy Queen. <laughs> a nice sativa 23 percenter grape la number one indica borealis blend a sativa and an indica i heard house blends are coming too we got some sour diesel some odin 3 sour diesel some peachy strawberry cheesecake some sentinel canatonic stokes quirkle 28 percent, warwick 2 headband <laughs>
3: Yeah, those are all the ty- types of that Strains. you can order from. Yeah. Now a strain is from a type of plant, right? Ah, uh, it's like a strain of. Plants. I thought that was a type of strain that you're. That
2: well, it's you're on, like I guess. crossbreeding different. It's like more like a family, I guess. Different okay. families. Okay. So, hmm.
3: so how does that compare to the states and how they do it? I don't know. I'm not sure.
2: I'm not sure. Well, in the states, you can have like here, you can have dispensaries, so it's all done online. Right. So, like, I just go online and order, and it, it gets delivered the next day. <laughs>
3: that's unreal. Yeah. Hey. Eh?
2: And then, for so for three months, I have to stick with one supplier, and then in another, in three months, I'm allowed to register half my prescription, so I'll be able to get 30 grams a month from Aurora and 30 grams a month from Tilray. So I'll have access to another fucking dozen strains. This is what I don't understand. So what? I'm going to have a little cabinet in my- Cabinet? Gear. A little cabinet.
3: And you're going to open
2: that's it? That's going to and it's gonna have a bunch of drawers that pull out. That's with, a
3: that's a shout out. To, that's a shout out to Ponce. I little, finally, I finally got you on that one
2: with a little uh, opener. I've been smoking opener. that White Widow <laughs> with some little labels on it. And I'll have all my different percentages and all my different strains. Did it come with People labels come, for your yeah, cabinets? Yeah,
3: no, Cabinet. well, it comes
2: with uh, comes with a label on the... Exactly. you extra country.
3: labels for you to do your little arts oh, and crafts? Yeah. And I'll there.
2: buy a label maker <laughs> <laughs> and a nice cabinet. So to that open. I, to open. And when people come over, I'll be able to treat them to whatever the, whatever experience they may possess. I figure I'll have access to about, in six months, I should have about small amounts of about 25 different strains.
3: This is what I know. Some have. will
2: be fully CBD and won't even get you stoned, but they'll get rid of your headache.
3: This is what I don't get. It's medicine, bro. We used to split like a gram between three of us when I yeah, used to like smoke guys, it way back when. Now, how can you possibly in, 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 they take two grams a day? Your prescription is for 60 grams? Like, 60 isn't that a lot? a lot? Like, I mean, like, like if you rolled a gram into a joint, that's a huge joint. Yeah. Really? Is it that? Wow. <laughs> it's not
2: that. I don't know. Maybe it's more leafy. Back in the day, you guys were smoking more leaf. I think maybe that shit's lighter. I don't know. I I smoke about a gram. I smoke about a gram a day, give or take. Yeah. Some days more. Sometimes. Your I,
3: personal habits like that into that level of detail if you don't want. Uh,
2: uh. I don't drink any alcohol ever. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Special except, occasions. Except last Halloween when you left early and then destroyed the studio.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Like> that's why. <laughs> Actually, I got drunk... A uh,
3: couple nights, a couple weeks ago?
2: Uh, about a month and a half ago. Yeah. That, that fucking was a terrible experience, too. I, well, I didn't do anything stupid, but... I felt terrible for about three days after.
3: I could see how you'd want a little cabinet full of different. I mean, it's just like if we, when you like wine, right? You like different types exactly. of wine and all that. I mean, okay. right on, buddy. Good. Well, you'll have to show me one day when you get it all set up.
2: I'm supposed to get my confirmation next week.
3: Nice. And then I will order. So. so I got I got a little bit of a weather modification segment, and I got a kind of a synchronicity God. from a uh, Damn from a, or or we can skip that and do it next show if you want. What do you got? What I you got synchronicity from, uh, some, a synchronicity from some listener from Ponds. No. Hmm.
2: How about Graham is an old believer in uh, No, no, no! You're supposed
3: rails. to play the other one. In we played that one last week. Can you play again the end? Pe- no, no, no. People, oh. are, people are specifically asking for the Kate Bush one.
2: So. People are pers- I've, I've got tons of feedback that says they just love that jingle. They actually <laughs> want me to let it play out a bit. So no, I no, 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 <laughs> they no. They like the music. This is about so.
3: geoengineering. Okay. So are you okay if I do a quick segment then? Chemtrails. So Chemtrails. Death dumps, otherwise known as chemical trails... See, they've got it in there too. Oh, that's a what? That's the problem too. Is the chemtrail thing is in there as well. Chemtrail. Let's call it geoengineering. That's the proper term. The why not? Because I'm not saying that uh, you know they're out right there. I'm not partaking in the extreme part of this conspiracy. I'm sticking with the the patents and the projects and the facts and the government reports. I know. That's why it's so boring. <laughs> Some people like it. I know. Okay, so it's a fucking anomaly
2: to me. That's why I'm (laughs) that's why I'm willing to sit just sit here and trudge through it Just listen to these patents here. (laughs) Promise to take the phone away during the weather modification segments.
3: So I used I was reading from the nineteen seventy eight weather modification programs problems, policy, and potential from the US government. I took a break from that because I'm reading some more, sort of getting into details of some of the projects and then some of the patents. So I'm going to read from a list of patents because this just absolutely fascinates me. So this is all in 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 trying to better understand the actual weather modification and geoengineering that's already going on around the planet. So and the, and the scientists experimentation, experimentation. Well, no, and and actual programs. Like, doing stuff. It's not all The thing all is, like, the science now. behind
2: making it rain isn't that hard, man. Is there really anything wrong with it?
3: It's not just about making it rain. It could be stopping it from raining. It could be storm retention or stuff How could you
2: stop it from raining?
3: I guess you just have to. Disperse the clouds. I mean, that's what Kate Bush's, like, cloud buster was. It busted up the clouds, right? William, Willem Reich, his Oregon Energy, was supposed to do that. Alleged. You know, listening to Coast to Coast in the 90s or the 2000s, it was a drought and he had everybody focus on rain and it rained the next day. And I'm not saying hey, that's the rain like,
2: sticks made it rain in yeah, Alberta.
3: Yeah. We got a rain stick here somewhere, don't we? Yeah, it's don't, rained in the it. The festival's coming up.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want you sitting in the studio <laughs> shaking
3: the rain stick on me. I
2: will be live for three hours on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. Rain stick. So Put a little Tibetan bowl in there.
3: So the point is, is that they're, they're talking about you know geoengineering to stop global warming or whatever, and some people think that they've been doing this for a long time, anyways. Now, what the motivation is, I don't know, and what they're actually doing, I can't say. But th- reading this list of patents is pretty in, informing. So in 1960, 1960- care to speculate? Maybe they're actually. I was on Adam's show recently, speculating on. I heard I you, you speculating
2: you. on all sorts of things.
3: Did you? You didn't listen to it? I listened to
2: about 10 minutes.
3: Oh, that's all pretty good. That's more than you listen to me in, your own, in our own studio. Yeah, I usually listen to the whole thing. So, um...
2: The guest bugged me. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, speculating on that. Well, I don't know. It could be both ways. It could be that they're trying to stop global warming. The intentions could be great. They're like, let's we, we have the technology to do this. Let's get up there. We know the planet's supposed to be warming. Let's get up there and stop it. Or it could be the opposite. It could be they're trying to induce global warming as a controlled, you know, as, as something to use to control the population a little bit more.
2: Or it could be neither.
3: Or it could be... Neither. Local weather modification um initiatives, right? Or just for wars. Or it could be it's
2: probably three D it could above. be a
3: three D battleground template or platform. Three D radar battleground platform. You're not buying that one? What so I'll tell you why that makes sense. Hmm
2: captivating
3: so in 1969 there was three patents that I want to mention the method and apparatus for seeding clouds trapped electromagnetic radiation communication systems let me read that again Darren
2: yeah read that one again on three that's quarters like, feet
3: that's like 3D <laughs> battle mapping trapped electromagnetic radiation communication systems trapped what electromagnetic
2: what Trapped electromagnetic.
3: Radiation. Communication radiation. systems. The next one is method for producing precipitation from the atmosphere. Artificial ion cloud. That was in 1970. 1970 as well. Control so that's of, camouflage thing. Control of atmospheric particles. Method for cloud seeding again. 1971. System and method for irrigation of planet surface areas. 1978 irradiation. What's that? Irradiation. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in 1971 as well, method of increasing the likelihood of precipitation by the artificial induction of seawater vapor into the atmosphere windward of an airlift region. That's a pretty detailed patent. Still in 1971, the next four of them, Methods of treating atmospheric conditions, treatment of atmospheric conditions by intermittent dispersing of materials within or therein, weather modification method, that's pretty generic, and combustible compositions for generating aerosols, particular suitable for cloud modification and weather control, and aerosolization process.
2: Aerosolization. Yeah.
3: Wow, that's a doozy! Yeah, that's a big one. The 1971 still. So, I mean, I, I've got a list here that goes up to like 2013, and this is still nipple? in '70. Okay, let's go quick. Still in '71. Okay, power through weather modification using micro encapsulated material. Yeah, yeah. Solar temperature inversion device. That's uh, kind of what I'm talking about about the uh, controlling the the sun's effect on our climate, and then pyrotechnics comprising oxide of silver for weather modification use i have to
2: speed this up and post i'm done aren't you going through the whole list
3: I, no, no oh. i'm just doing sections at a time i'm gonna spread this go, you're spread, spread, to spread r- this paint out for you drag it out
2: <laughs> couldn't you just rifle off the whole
3: list and like a minute no no then it loses its effect <laughs> Yes it would And, and I'll save the two I'm going to go over Operation <laughs> LAC And Operation Due Next time I think we already did No we didn't We hmm. went over Storm Fury And Popeye and That's right I didn't the remember Island. Popeye yeah. I got to pick Popeye Yeah
2: One of my favorite segments This is the
3: closing Thanks for your support Darren I got an email From somebody saying Who cares if Darren's Not paying attention you Just read the thing as if he's not there, so it's like, Yeah, good point. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let me get to you. That's right. He's like, We can't see what Darren's doing. I enjoy it. So I got, enjoy
2: that segment because it'll break.
3: <clears throat> so I got uh, a synchronicity from let's see if he can if I can use his name.
2: Do you want to pick the jingle?
3: I'll gonna play the new one. The researcher claims that this neurosynchronicity occurs when the brains of musicians playing together
1: create a neurological meta-network. According to her, the phenomenon can be described as a kind of communal brain. 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 Nice. Hmm.
3: This is from Howard slash Ned on Twitter. Howard Ned? Yeah. He says, "Dear G- Darren and Graham, thanks for the show guys. I think all your other listeners would agree with me when I say how good it is to share this time and space in our crazy reality with you both. It makes this weird journey we're on all that much more f- fulfilling and entertaining. All your shows are fascinating, even the shows, I think, hmm, not sure about that one from the show notes.
2: From the show notes?
3: Yeah, hey, so hey, speaking of that, read
2: the show notes. Yeah, read so speaking, of that, I do
3: put quite a bit of information for people in the show notes so they can tell what what's going ah. on in the episode."
2: He does. The show notes are great. He does like to elaborate on the amount of work that goes into them.
3: No, no, I never say how much work. Okay. I'm just telling you that it's there <laughs> for people to look at. There's links to for how to support the show as well. Like, There's all That's kinds of stuff. stuff. Okay. Yeah. So he says uh, One of you, the best, probably. Actually. In fact, we have some of the best show notes out there. Oh, well, thanks. Remind me to talk about that later with the artwork as well. Okay. So, in fact, they usually turn out to be the best, those episodes he's saying. So I would recommend to anyone who skipped a show because the interviewee didn't look like their bag to go back to it and give it a go. It will be worth it, I guarantee. Anyway, here's my synchro. It's a bit visual, so you have to explain the pictures, which aren't good for radio, he knows. That's good you can see this, Darren. So last week I picked up a book and this old postcard picture fell out. I found it on top of a rubbish bin at work a few years back and hadn't really looked into it. I knew it was old, though, so I kept it. And it's this really old picture of this guy standing and looking up at a monument, and there's this, like, pyramid shape in the background or this uh, hill. It turns out that the view of the monument to commemorate the Battle of Waterloo, which, although I'm interested in history, I know nothing about. So spent... So spent... Some time, this last weekend, trying to figure out... is that where he lost?
2: Uh, I don't know. That's Where you were where Napoleon met his Waterloo.
3: So he was trying to figure it out via Google Maps where this thing was and the spot the picture had been taken. Here's a snap from Google Mac, Maps I took on my phone last weekend when I was sussing it out. So he's got this little pin there from the Battle of Waterloo. It looks like that's where the picture was taken from. Anyway, I, obs- I obsessed over it, like I tend to, all weekend. Texting a patient friend of mine all day about whether the Monument Hill may have Masonic significance. The height, the radius, etc. Reading the wiki and all that, then I forgot about it and moved on. Today, one week later, I get this in my Twitter feed. While you were away. History pod. 18th of June, 1815. Napoleon Bonaparte. Ooh. No. Happens to be same last name as our guest today.
2: Well, it just happens to be
3: I didn't know that when I read this, Darren. I've been no. holding you've been hanging on to this for a month. Yeah. yeah,
2: you've been hanging <laughs> on to this, I bet.
3: <laughs> I have. What's the date of the tweet was go def- down?
2: What's the date?
3: Of the of the email? Of Let the me tweet. show you. Let me show you the email. June 18th.
2: So you waited for the Bonaparte yeah. episode.
3: No, I didn't. Not on purpose. Oh. And that's the uh, he was defeated at the Battle of Waterloo. So are those the pyramids? No. Oh. Apart from bits in front, it looks like the exact same view. So, Graham and Darren, was I tuning into the actual battle last weekend, which is why I found the photo, or am I onto something re really Masonic significance? And this is telling me to do more digging or just coincidence. Darren, what do you say? How do I rate? I'd be interested to hear RPGA's thoughts too, if he was there, because I know he often talks about the strange ways we perceive and read our reality. Thanks guys. Sorry. If it's a bit long winded and the pictures are bad for radio, I've been a long time listener and dropped you donations where I could, where I, when I could before, but as of the third anniversary, I signed up for the three thirty-three donation. Doesn't seem like much, but again, it's all in the numbers. All the best, Howard.
2: Well, oh, man, if everyone signed up for a 333, Howard, we could quit our jobs.
3: <laughs> yeah, we could do this full time. No, thanks for the donation and the email. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to support the show because we have we do have way more fixed monthly expenses than we thought we ever would. We just thought this would be a simple little process, but we want to do it right, and we are doing it right, and we don't have ads or portals or sponsors or nothing like that. Nothing like that. We have the occasional bullshit. Yeah, and then there's a way to submit to also help out with music, like jingles that you heard were, were usually sent in from listeners, and artwork every week as done by listeners and Napoleon Doom. Oh, Napoleon, there's another synchronous. Oh, he, I guess that wouldn't be a synchronous. we talk about all the time? He now. runs the art yeah. section
2: of Grand America now that we have more and more people interested in art. Actually yeah. interested in another local artist the other day. He's going to start contributing.
3: And email him at nap at grayamerica.com, right? That's right. And his uh, website is Lost Bread Comic, and it's in the show notes as well.
2: Yeah, and he does the comic strip for America and has a good comic imprint. I wonder if you can buy it online from that comic store. I'm sure you can find out on his website. Check it out. As for Howard, I'm going to go ahead and give you a 7.7 and tell you to maybe, I'm going to go with follow the Masonic thing.
3: Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um,
2: <clears throat> maybe it's telling you something deeper. Like, if I'm correct, and that's the battle that Napoleon was finally defeated for flying a little too close to the sun, maybe there's something in your own personal life that uh, you're getting a little risky with. I'm going to reel it in.
3: Yeah? You got a deck of tarot cards over there or something, buddy? No. Right on. Wait. Okay. Reel it in, Howard. That's the message from Darren. <laughs> Reel it <laughs> in.
2: <laughs> and thanks for your support.
3: I got the UFO quote still, too, buddy.
1: Down and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of the week.
3: This is a special one for Jordan Bonaparte. 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 I speak from three years of detailed personal research involving interviews with more than 500 witnesses in selected UFO cases, chiefly in the United States. In my opinion, the UFO problem, far from being the nonsense problem that has been labeled by many scientists, constitutes an area of extraordinary scientific interest. That's from Dr. James McDonald, professor of atmospheric sciences, senior physicist Quoted in UFOs, A Scientific Debate.
2: There you have it. Good one, buddy. Thanks. All right, guys, check out gramerica.ca support uh, for all the different ways you can support the show. I'm going to this weekend. Also, gramerica.ca art will feature any art that has been uh, on the show. And eventually eventually I think that's where we'll make the home base for submission and things too. I to find a way that we can integrate integrate all that, hopefully eventually and do it all through Gramerica. Uh, big thanks to Nat for doing that. Sign up for monthly guys. Uh, spam gram. We need more feedback for next week. So send in some synchros.
3: G R A H A M at grammerica Yeah. Yeah.
2: You can even send in some bullshit. We Tri- should mix in some and bullshit and see if I can catch it.
3: No, no, no. no. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Only true, true, authentic stories and emails, please. Okay. Jesus. No trolling. Go out and fake your crop circle, buddy.
2: <laughs> That's coming soon, actually. <laughs> I was actually going to this weekend start... Looking online for some different patterns. Uh, I'm gonna do it. Well, the you can. Canola your, field. You
3: got. It's the creative juices flowing. You're googling patterns. Oh my <laughs> god! What? I thought you would design something original.
2: No, I want something easy.
3: You got to meditate on it and do the design based on your meditation, and then I don't see know.
2: if. No, like, no, I'm gonna do something quick and easy. Oh Jesus!
3: You're missing the whole point. No. It's like doing mushrooms when you're drunk.
2: Good analogy, but
3: <laughs>
2: I'll, maybe I'll see what happens. Why don't you pick find my crop circle for me? But the trick is, I don't,
3: I don't support this endeavor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the trick then is trying to figure out how to recreate it. Right? That's what I'm trying to find something that's easily done with a central access and a string. Good luck. Thank you. Trying to make the paper.
3: Right on, buddy. Well, you better get and it. And then little... we
2: might need some, some more support <laughs> to pay for the crops that I wreck.
3: And the jail, the bail.
2: The bail. Yeah. America bail money.
3: Yeah.
2: Anyway, hey, congratulations to Nicky. I have uh, been in some correspondence with him talking about who we're going to have on the show. Looks like uh, we pointing to a, a, uh, a interesting blues musician. Oh, nice. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, Yeah. That's about it. We'll send out his uh, swag pack next week. So he should get that soon. And then we'll have to have mom for a quick. We'll have mom. What we'll do is we'll have mom for an intro the same time we have mom for the
3: episode. Episode. Yeah. Right on.
2: All right, guys. uh, I think that's it. Sign up for the newsletter, grammarica.ca slash news. Send your art to nap at grammarica.com. Spam gram. Enjoy the interview with napoleon check out his podcast
3: Across Canada, in the not east, all the way. it's pretty close. It's uh, it's actually forty three eighty three. Oh, you should let me guess. Oh, away, I should have let you guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jordan's got. Uh, oh, Jonah. right.
2: Why well, was I thinking Montreal? It is it's all hell, the way. Yeah, it is Oh just no, about. But we're not all the way.
3: No, we're not all the way. So, but Jonah, Bar- Jordan Bonaparte's here, and uh, he's got the nighttime podcast out of uh, Nova Scotia kind of talking about some of the same stuff unexplained and real crime and he's kind of uh, you know he's been sharing this with Atlantic Canada but realizing that his message is going all over the world and it's good to
1: have you here Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here I'm uh, very happy to be joining you both I've listened to quite a few of your episodes and uh, very impressed with your show is especially impressed with the variety of topics you cover.
3: Oh thanks man yeah we we've uh, I've been listening to yours as well so we're going to be you know, a little bit of patting each other back here, but, uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, what struck me right away was your balanced, balanced look on at stuff, you know, like you, you cover some pretty crazy topics, but you're not, you know, you're not out there to ridicule anything and you're not out there to just say, you know, what the answer is very similar to what I
1: try to do here. Like just not have, you know, a real strong opinion either way. Yeah. I kind of, the way I'm, way it's coming across that way because I really I don't consider myself an expert or like a researcher or anything any of these things I consider myself more as a a passionate observer so I what I try to do is just tell this story if there's two sides to whatever the topic is I'll try to present them both but I just I don't I guess I don't uh, value my own opinion enough to even put it on my listeners I'm pretty much just putting the story out there and I'm happy to talk on social media and whatnot about it, but it's uh, but my show is definitely me trying to just put a balanced, uh, balanced view of the, whatever the topic is out there.
3: Yeah, that's good. it's good. It's refreshing. What's your favorite topic?
1: Man, I love a good UFO story. Love a good ghost story. Love a good... Um, any type of true crime. And I especially love any mystery, whether it's a missing person or an archaeological mystery or whatever it is. I just like something that, that gives you... Um, gives you something to talk about. And that's, you know, these topics, that's really what it is for me. It's just like a launch pad for conversation and for, you know, the, go online and just dig into these things.
3: So you're talking about, about really trying to reach some local people and tell local local as in like Atlantic Canada stories. So, mm-hmm. so you sort of set out to do that. And then uh, you do you realize that, you know, there's a lot of people listening from other, other spots.
1: Yeah. It's, it's odd. Cause it, I've been a podcast fanatic for a long time, listening to similar shows as yourself and Astonishing Legends and a show called Mysterious Topics that are looking at the, you know, the mysteries and paranormal stories from across the world. But I've always looked at those stories locally as well. Nova Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada has a whole lot of world renowned uh, events and places, but I've just never really heard them covered on on podcasts very often so my my thought was kind of there was all these great stories locally that i knew um and that i was really interested in just weren't being covered so i just figured why not cover them myself and what i thought would happen is i'd put together a few shows and you know people around nova scotia or atlantic canada would listen and that'd be the end of it but as pretty much as soon as i started i was noticing downloads from the States and from England and, you know, Western Canada and countries I've never heard of from parts of the world that I couldn't even point to on a map. And now it's, it's at the point where I would say probably 75, 80% of my, of my listeners are in the States. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think,
2: I, I think that's uh, pretty standard.
1: Yeah. I guess they all got iPhones down there with, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They seem to be out in front of it for whatever reason on the podcast, uh, front. Yeah, I think we're around sixty-five or sixty percent ourselves, and everyone that I've talked to is is noticing pretty much the same.
3: I think it's just strictly population for the Western world. They've got so much more than more right, other than every place combined, else.
1: So. Yeah, yeah it, it could be that. I think with, with my show in particular, I, a lot of the stories that I've covered, people haven't like that were they haven't been covered before. It's probably new to a lot of people. So I'm kind of thinking maybe that's what's drawing them in. As I'm covering. Things, uh, you know, stories or events that maybe they heard of, but never heard the whole story. But how did you how did you hear about all those local stories? uh, Just I've lived here my whole life and I've always been into folklore and ghost stories and um, all that stuff. I have like if you look at my bookshelf now, I have two whole rows, rows on my bookshelf, which are just local local books about, you know, crazy things that have happened around here. There's there's a lot of it in Nova Scotia.
3: And you guys do you guys have a lot of paranormal investigative groups and stuff around there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we have one that's actually very successful and very good. They're they're known as uh, people call them pins. It stands for Paranormal Investigations, Nova Scotia. Hmm. It's a they've actually they've I've been on my that. show. Yeah, they were, you may have heard them from oh, my that's show. That's Yeah, yeah, they they uh, interviewed them and did an episode of my show, kind of profiling the group. But what's so special about them is not only are they really into it and you know with cutting edge equipment and all that stuff, but they're highly organized. They've actually partnered with Parks Canada on a lot of different projects and they're doing, they do these public investigations where I don't know if they sell tickets or how it all works, but I'm sure you pay something and you get to go with them to a lot of the historic sites around Nova Scotia that people who investigate the paranormal would dream of investigating like, uh, you know, thousand year old fortresses or 800 year old fortresses or whatnot. They're going down in the catacombs beneath them with all their, you know, fancy equipment poking around and they, um, they, you know, they're just so organized and, and they have it, they, they just really have it rolling that things are happening here that I think, uh, paranormal groups from around Canada or around the world would be very envious of. Huh. What, what's their outlook like? Are they fairly skeptical? Are they pretty, pretty balanced? They, they seem very balanced. Um, that being said, they're, they're definitely believers when they're on my show, what they had done was, um, well, actually what before they came on my show, what drew me towards them is one of the leaders of the group. His name's Earl Laddie. He's uh, he's really active on Facebook. He has a group called Haunted Nova Scotia and he's always putting up these um, EVP clips like a is it electronic voice phenomenon yeah, yeah. but it's it's based it, yeah he's always putting up these clips from his investigation saying you know listen to what I recorded last night and he'll talk a little or write a little bit about what he thinks he hears the spirit saying or whatnot I don't know if he's if you're familiar with a spirit box but mm-hmm. what he Frank's this box is what like? Yeah. So, so he uses that all the time and it, it's basically, um, what it does is it's going through the AM or FM signal really fast, just going from station to station, you know, at like a millisecond time, at, at a time or whatever. And, uh, I guess the theory is you record the radio just flying through the AM FM signals. Then when you listen to the playback and, slow it down and mess with it. Eventually the spirit's voice is going to be brought out. So what he's doing is he's going into these rooms of places that he expects to be haunted and he'll say something like, is anybody in here with me? And he has the spirit box being recorded. Then he'll listen or mess with the, the, the recording of the spirit boxes uh, signal after he asks the question, looking for a response from a spirit, but he's always putting these recordings up online and they were really intriguing to me. Cause I could definitely hear the voices he was talking about when he came on my show, I asked him to come by my house and bring some of his best recordings. And when this guy showed up, I, I had never met him before. So I didn't know what was what I was in store for. And he showed up and he had, it wasn't like he had, uh, you know, a, a CD or a thumb drive in his pocket. He had a briefcase, and when he opened it up, it was all padded. And in the center of the briefcase was a little, like, this uh, stainless steel hard drive that was all, you know, it wasn't even going to move an inch if that thing, if that briefcase fell off a, a building. And you know he with his own fancy cable he hooked up it to his to my computer and he barely wanted me to touch the thing and then when he uh, went through all the files it was meticulously organized like you could tell these people are dead serious about these recordings and uh, so he played a bunch of them for me and they all had a story as to where he was and. Um, the history of the building like for example one of the places he got a lot of the recordings from was uh, it's, it's a restaurant in Halifax where I live called the Five Fishermen but during the time of the Halifax explosion where we had a massive explosion in Halifax that killed Pretty much everybody this uh, this building at that time was a funeral parlor so they did a lot of the embalming and all that of the bodies in the basement of it again it's now a restaurant but that was one of the places he yeah. did a lot of investigation yeah but he was he was in there and asking questions you know is anyone in there with me and he was hearing names of people and then he was going through the historical record to try to find if somebody with that name had died in halifax during the explosion and sure enough he matched up a few people um, so that was pretty cool. And he also had some from the fortress of Lewisburg, which is, uh, also in Nova Scotia. It's I uh, I don't know if it's a French or English fortress. I'm an idiot about, uh, history, but it's some fortress from some war long before I was born. But, uh, in a room where he recorded some EVP samples, uh, same kind of thing. He asked if anyone was in here and he got a response. The historical, the response said a name and the historical record showed that, somebody with that same name was uh not only killed in that room but they believed that they were buried actually in in the ground underneath this building so uh right pretty much where he was standing so that was cool but anyway but these guys a little skeptical he seems pretty realistic uh, pretty reasonable about the whole thing but he's absolutely into it dead serious into it
3: yeah well <clears throat> sounds like they're getting some coverage too i just was trying to google their google the shit and uh CTV News had a story about it, about the five fishermen and pins yeah. doing the uh, investigations. And what was their mm. what was their website again? They, or, the, um, or where he where he puts those EVPs?
1: Well, the most of it he he Facebook, and really what right? springboard springboarded the whole group was a Facebook group called um, Fa- uh, Haunted Nova Scotia. Yeah. He started that, and that group now it has I think about fourteen thousand members, and most of them are in Nova Scotia. And a lot of the the discussion on there is about the paranormal in Nova Scotia. But it's also um, very pin centric, like him and all the members are kind of like the the leaders of the whatever that's called, the administrators of the group or whatnot. But uh, he's a great guy. I'm actually going with uh, with them this Saturday to a a hotel uh, not too far from here to do a a, not a public, but a private investigation. It's just him and his team. And he's going to allow me to come along with my recorder and see what we see. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm a, I'm a layman with the whole paranormal investigation thing, but uh, this will be my first time going along for the ride with them, and I, I couldn't be more excited. When's that? That is this Saturday night. Ooh, it's a uh, couple of yeah. days. Yeah, so that's I think that's three more sleeps from now. Yeah, three more sleeps. <laughs> uh, I'll be out there trying my
3: C-SETI luck. <laughs> yeah. on, uh, I'll, I'll go out with my C-SETI group and see if we can see something.
1: What is, that? What is the C-SETI group? Yeah, that's the... Uh, uh,
3: using those protocols of c and Stephen Greer to sort of meditate and, and sort of remote view and try and attract some UFOs, that kind of thing. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, so it should be interesting. There's a group forming here, just sort of getting going
1: um, in Calgary. Oh, neat. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah good. Well, yeah, that's fun to get into. It's just these kind of topics, what's so great about them is it's, there's just so much to talk about, so much to look into, and also, history seems to to pop its head up so often. So not only are you researching a cool topic uh, in terms of the paranormal, the unexplained, but you're also going through often back through human history, which is one thing that I'm fascinated with.
3: Yeah. So, so you, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and you, you know, that's it was great. You had that that UFO. Uh, account on there with the guy who saw it and then talking about the news stories about it and
1: yeah and that you, was cool
3: and you had the uh, the other one which was which is interesting the, the disappearance of um mora maybe mora something.
1: yeah mora murray that's that's one of the few stories that aren't uh atlantic canadian um necessarily that was uh that was a very wild story i'm it's a case that i'm obsessed with um but i'm glad you listened to that one cuz I'm Happy to spread the word about that case well, to anyone who'll listen.
3: What was really interesting to me is is hearing how obsessed these, not only you, but a lot of other people have been for like decades, like 12, 13 years about this missing persons case. And and it's it's weird to me run because there's it? like thousands of missing person cases, but everyone's yeah. attracted to this, this one case. And then mm-hmm. the the two guys you had on there, they're like completely, they came up with comp- like their own, they're admitting that it's their own view or whatever. So they're not, they're not sounding dogmatic about it. But the sense was that they both have a different opinion on what happened.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of opinions. And, and I heard you say, Darren, can I run you through it? I'll, I'll give you the calls notes of it. And the, the reason that this case, uh, the disappearance of Maura Murray is so, um, people are such fanatics about it is it's, I couldn't think of a mu- of a more pure mystery. There's so many unexplained moments in the story and it's just any theory you can come up with almost will fit the, the facts or, or what people know about the case. But basically, and, and I may get some of this wrong, so I'm going off the top of my head, but basically I think it was about 13 years ago, Maura Murray was, uh, a young woman, I think, around somewhere around twenty years old. She was a, a student at University of M A S S U Mass Mass. Massach- I hate saying the word. Is it Massachusetts? Yeah, Massachusetts. I got. Ma- oh, I don't give me smash. Massachusetts. i'll tell you i got i got through <laughs> the calls because I, I said uh, i said that full i'm not even gonna say it again but i said the state name is it uh, if it's you even a state it best for sure okay well that's because of the the hole that's in my gram. soul from my listeners because i uh, i said massachusetts whatever it is massachusetts. i said on my show oh there you go i, I can see the you you killed it. The number one feedback I think I got on that episode, well, it was either you know very cool story, but a lot of it was like you, you got that state wrong. So again, it's Americans listening to me, and as a Canadian, you don't often say that word. No, oh, they can't but, even name the provinces from down there, probably. No. or the states. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, uh, Maura Murray was like a 20 year old student at UMass. She was uh, in nursing, basically the days leading up to her disappearance, some weird things happened for one. She about, I think two or three days before her disappearance, she borrowed her father's car in the middle of the night, wrecked it, got in a car accident, basically a single vehicle accident at about two in the morning. Uh, So, so that happened as well as a a day or two before she went missing at work. Uh, She was working on campus and she just had a breakdown uh, in the middle of the night during a shift and her, her boss basically had to walk her back to her dorm room. And the only thing really she could say about it, she was so upset. The only thing she could say to her boss to explain what was wrong was she just said, my sister. So anyway, that's just a, a weird thing that happened. And then anyway, um, what ended up happening is next thing we know, Mora hasn't really been in touch with anything, anybody, nothing really has been going on. And she, um, until, I think it was a day or two after what I just told you about. She basically got in a single vehicle car accident, uh, I believe a state or two over, near the entrance to a provincial park called the White Mountains. And it was a single vehicle accident. She was driving her car, um, went off the road or whatever happened, and ended up in a snowbank just in the in the middle of nowhere in this rural area on the entrance to the White Mountains. And um, a school bus driver who was... Uh, driving, he lived just a couple doors down from where she, where her car crashed. He was uh, on his way home from school bus driving and saw her car broken down. So he pulled up behind her and got out of the bus and walked over and you know said, "Is everything okay?" And she had told him, "I just called uh, the the American version of CAA, which is AAA." She said, "I just called AAA. They're you know sending someone out to to help me. It's all good. Uh, you know I'm fine." And this was um. I think it was in November. So there was a bit of snow on the ground and it was pretty cold. And he said, you know, I just live two doors down. You want to come to my house and wait for them to arrive? And she declined saying, you know, no, I'm all right. Just leave me here. So he's like, all right. And he got back in his bus and drove two doors down. But once he left her, he knew something was up because he, again, he lived there and he knew there was no cell phone coverage where they were. He was so rural. So he knew she was lying. So he went in the house and right away called the, the police And um, reported what had happened. And he was on, I think, with, with 911 or something. And they even asked him, they're like, you know, can you still see her? Is she still there? And he went on his front step and he could, she was just out of reach. Like, I think he could maybe just see the back of her car, but her car was there And he was on line with 911. They're like, you know, stay on the line with us until somebody shows up. And at the same time, like as soon as she wiped out her car, um, somebody, it was right in front of somebody's house. They called the police as well about 10 minutes before he showed up with his bus. So he was on his front step looking at her car. He had just seen her maybe two minutes prior when the, the police responded to the initial 911 call from somebody who lived in the house that she spun out in front of. When the police showed up on site, she was nowhere to be found. She wasn't in the car. All they found in the car was um, uh, a box of wine. You know how you can buy the wine by the box. They found a box of wine in the car. They found a pop bottle outside the car with what appeared to be wine inside of it. And there was a bit of red liquid on the snow around the car. So probably wine as well. And then they found in the tailpipe of the car, stuffed deep in the tailpipe, was a rag, which just seems really weird but they found no uh, tracks or anything in the snow around the car. And the initial thought was that she was probably drinking, and she went and hid in the woods so she wouldn't get in trouble. But now, twelve years later, they had never found her. And what also is odd is um, when she when she had disappeared after a day or so, she didn't turn up. They started, you know, going through her background, trying to figure out what was going on. So they went to her her dorm room at uh, at UMass. And when they walked in the room, a lot of her stuff like pictures were off the walls, stuff was in boxes. So they, they couldn't figure out you know, what she was planning. They also went through her cell phone records and her phone records and her computer searches. And she was uh, calling hotels or like people who were renting cabins in the area of the White Mountains where she disappeared. She was calling there, uh, seeming to be trying to make reservations for like um, renting a cabin or something. But she had not told anybody about this. And there was no reason for her to go there. She had also called her employer and and, and her school and lied and said there was a death in her family and she was going to be away a couple days. So they just, people have, for one, no idea why she was even in this area to begin with. And then the other mystery is just what the heck happened to her in that, you know, two minute period from when the guy, the bus driver had last seen her to when the the police had showed up because it's, you know, he was standing on his front step watching. So no car that he know of went by. And there was also, she was wiped out in front of a house where they had called 911 and they reported being around the window, kind of checking it out, looking at her and just seeing her sitting there in the car. So, you know, nobody knows what happened. And you mentioned the uh, the two guys that were on my show talking about it. Their names are Tim and Lance. Uh, how I got in touch with them is they actually have a podcast um, called the Missing Maura Murray Podcast. It's a podcast just dedicated to this case. And I think now they're That's about crazy. 25. Yeah, it, it is crazy. Whoa, but it's how many about, episodes? They're at about 25 episodes. and. Every one of them is incredible because it's what I had just told you about the case. That is just you know the most bare bones, basic Coles Notes version. The case there's 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 so much to it. What what it is is they um they were planning to do a documentary about about the case itself as well as about the amount of uh, armchair detectives or like uh, internet detectives or whatever that are working on it. Um, they started the working on the documentary and decided to do a podcast just kind of talking through them working on this documentary but the podcast became a huge success and so now they're still going and again at i think they're at 24 or 25 episodes that are a lot of them are an hour and a half long and it's just you know it's pretty captivating stuff if you're into that
3: Hmm. the one thing to get a little weird here might as well because we're on grand (laughs) america but um you know what came to mind for me was all the the missing four one one stuff, right? And 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 you being interested in real crimes, I thought, man, I wonder if he's delved into the missing four one one. Like she was at a park entrance or whatever, like some oh, state yeah, park. Oh yeah,
2: national parks.
3: And um, there's been so many disappearances from national parks, and those guys writing like what three books on it now, stuff like that, and yeah, he's getting into some really pretty strange, you know, strange uh, evidence. Like it's not yeah. just they're
1: not cut and dry cases, you know. Yeah, I, I listened to a bit of that and I read a bit about it. And it seems like there's, I don't know if I would say conspiracy theory, but it seems like a lot of what he's figuring out is stuff that really just hasn't been reported either. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, I don't know. When I think of it, like when I first started hearing about about that, I was thinking maybe there's motivation for, you know, the whoever oversees the parks to not let it out that, you know, all these people are disappearing or, you know, getting killed or abducted or whatever from the parks. Maybe they just don't want to... Sour the name of the park, but at the same time it is it is pretty strange. I wonder when the movie's coming out. they yeah. are doing a movie, I think. The or... Missing
3: 411 movie?
1: Yeah.
2: Oh
3: wow. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I wonder... in
2: 2016.
3: Some some of our listeners were saying, um, who was it, Darren, that was talking about the R H negative blood and how it should be um actually it was one of our was bloggers. Justin. Of our bloggers, how then that needs to be one of the next analysis for that. For that, um, all that data from missing 411 needs to be cross correlated with the negative, uh, Rh negative blood type to see if they all have it to see if it's like a higher percentage because if they're crazy, being milked, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. There's some crazy shit going on with the Rh negative, um, blood. Nick Redfern's book, The Bloodlines of the Gods, was pretty, pretty interesting. It, it, what is the oh, theory with Matt that? Uh, well, it's kind of like, um, it's the rhesus gene, right? So so most of us have blood type that is positive, which means we have the, the rhesus. I, now, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think the gist of it is we have that rhesus gene in there. <clears throat> but there's a, there's a small percentage of us, I think it's 7 or 17 or something, that have RH negative, or which is just that they don't really know where that blood came from. And then there's the different parts like O negative, which is, you know... You can use it to universal donor universal donor type blood and and there's a there's a crazy so there's a really small percentage of of recess negative so r h negative. but mm. if you look at some cultures like the Basque people, it's up to like 50, 60%. And then there's this correlation with the Celtics. And then there's a different sort of personality traits and health traits that are associated with RH negative. And then mm. apparently a lot of the abductees are RH negative and most of the presidents mm. have been RH And I mean, the, the thing just goes on and on.
1: Yeah, interesting. There's even, I, I had-
3: sorry, there's even a weird, um, what's it called? It's not a disease, but it's a, Mike, it's a... Negative virus, virus. I think it's a vi- it's a virus. Even there's a, a toxoplasmosis. I don't know if it's in, technically a virus, but that's this crazy fucking virus that, that I want to get into one day in the show. I've been reading about it a little bit, but it, it affects people negative uh, with negative Rh blood differently as well. So it's 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 there's some pretty crazy shit going on.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds it.
2: Freaky stuff. Parasitic disease.
1: Yeah, Tox the is the yeah. toxoplasmosis. Is that not the disease or not the disease, but like the virus or parasite or whatever that comes at a cat? Yeah. Menure cat crap, I guess yeah. is the appropriate word. And I guess, yeah, I read a bit about that as well, where it's uh people who are infected with toxoplasmosis are statistically more likely to die in a violent incident or in a risk-taking incident like a car crash or a, an extreme sport like you know skydiving accident or something so there's some signs to point that if you're infected with this parasite you're more likely to take risk Just yeah really there's, all, there's
3: also a sexuality orientation uh, theory about it as well and hmm. what, what's that but that you're prone to switch teams if you're infected with toxo so what it does to rats is it actually when it gets in a rat's brain it pulls some fucking triggers and some wires and it the rat instead of becoming um disgusted by the cat urine it gets attracted to cat urine. Really? Yeah, and then who doesn't which love is, cat urine?
1: Well, uh, the, a rat because the cat would probably <laughs> <laughs> would eat the thing.
3: Yeah, and then it moves on to the cat. And then it changes the personality of the cat. There's it, some crazy shit. I've been really meaning to. Yeah,
2: we should get you. I on tried a to batch.
3: get a scientist email. Like, to is a it scientist Can we
2: like just? Uh, can we just fill you up for a
1: couple of months. Just and run, let me run
3: wild. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you get that at Lawtons in a pill form for just for the weekend? <laughs> yeah, wears off. <laughs> it dies off. It's like shelf life. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, what happened? Yeah,
3: you're like what the hell happened last <laughs> night? You just goes? wake up.
1: It's like it's like a it's like a Bender. Yeah, yeah, dressed Talk's as so super bender. dressed as Super Dave Osborne, just <laughs> in a bed with three guys <laughs>
3: yeah. after jumping off a tower or something. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, so the other thing that came to mind about that disappearance, which is again, it's like total. There's nothing to it except for just thoughts I had. So, is, is, I thought she was um, quite athletic and, um, and also in the army or some sort. I was, yeah. you know, you know what I was picturing? I was like, maybe she's just like leaving her life to change identity and enter the
1: special forces or some sort of spy, you know? Yeah, it could be. She was, uh, she was actually kicked out of West Point. She was caught stealing from West Point when oh, she was a there.
3: Oh.
1: Yeah. She was stealing, uh, Something really insignificant. I don't know if it was lip gloss or what, but it was something you know really minor from like a souvenir shop kind of thing at the at the what? school. Yeah, something really minor. She was also, um, I think, using a stolen credit card, but not for anything nuts. I think she got about $40 worth of pizzas with a stolen credit card. And, and that got her booted from West Point. But she was said to have been able to, I think she could drive a tank and like use, you know, big guns and all this stuff. But she was a runner as well. There's a lot of pictures of her running but uh, there's so many theories about what happened to her some people point towards maybe a suicide and the area where she was found she uh, or where her vehicle was found outside of the white mountains was an area that her family had vacation a lot when she was younger some people believe that maybe she was going back to somewhere familiar where she had good memories to end her life because it was i only scratched the surface but there was a lot of things going on in her life at that point that would um, be uh, put someone maybe in a a state of trauma. Um, So one theory is suicide. Another theory is that she was fleeing to start a new life to get away from the stresses that she had and all these things that were going on in her life. Uh, One of the theories is that if she ran away where she went missing was very close to the um, Quebec border. So some people believe she left, um, got out of the car, took off into the woods made her way to the border and is now living under uh, an assumed identity in Quebec. Someone actually just, a guy named James Renner just released a book called True Crime Addict, My Obsession with the Maura Murray case, I believe is what it's called. He's been studying this case for and working on this case for years now. And his theory is that she fled to start a new life. And he believes uh, it likely that she is in Quebec right now doing that. She's a spy. Um, yeah, she she, she got kicked
3: woman. out on purpose just to fucking cover her tracks stole yeah. some lip gloss she's a runner so she just ran until she met the her handler she ran for the border yeah Ran for it the could border be and d- met isn't her there handler. isn't
2: there a lot of
1: uh like native folklore around the mountains um I, I believe there is, and I believe there is there. In fact, when when she went missing, her father, uh, who speaks only in poem, it's very strange. Whenever there's an interview with her dad, the guy is the most eloquent spoken guy, but uh, he had, um, he, I don't remember his exact words, but he had said, I think under his breath, but the police had heard him something about, he thought that maybe she came up here to do herself in, like to commit suicide, but he used some words that would, that a, that a native from the area would use, like it was some native term for, for killing yourself. But, um, he has since said that he is he doesn't believe that's what happened. He, he believes she was abducted. And a lot of people believe that's what happened is that somebody just was in the right place at the right time and basically just snatched her up and took off. And it just maybe happened at a moment where that bus driver, you know, didn't have his eyes on her and it was just kind of, you know, perfect timing. That's another theory, but who who the hell knows what happened?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's she's uh, she was uh, she was quite pretty, right, and athletic. I mean, that's uh,
1: she. She's a beautiful yeah, girl. Yeah.
3: They need those gorgeous women spies out there. I'm sticking with that theory. Darren, what's your theory?
1: <laughs> I think
2: Graham abducted her.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it shouldn't yeah, make light.
3: Yeah, don't make light. Yeah. Now. But it is, it is crazy how so many people
1: are focused on this case when there's like thousands of missing persons cases, you know? Yeah. It's just this one. What, what's unique is it's just, there's a lot of mysteries though. There's the one mystery is what she was even doing there to begin with. And the other mystery being, you know, where the heck is she? And other mysteries, what the days leading up to it, she, there was a lot of weird things that she did that's been unexplained. So there's just so much going on with this case. And then there's so much analysis. Of people like this missing maura murray podcast and the documentary that they're making and there's the book by james renner who's a well-known author in this uh, or investigative journalist in the states so there there's a lot of attention on the case so it's just there's just a community revolving around it in fact the fact that we're talking about this you're probably going to get some emails about people criticizing us for getting some of the facts wrong on this case so yeah yeah that? exactly <laughs> i'm gonna go with suicide I think she uh,
2: plugged the exhaust because she was mistaken, mistaken that you don't. with you know, people kill themselves by running a hose from their exhaust into their car. So mm-hmm. I think she tried that first. Just plugged the exhaust and sat in the car, think drinking wine, thinking she would die.
3: And then mm-hmm. did she just conveniently. But then when a she seen the cops coming out in the snow,
2: then she seen the cops coming, bucked her into the woods and
3: covered
1: her yeah. tracks. No, Something see, else happened. Gonna- there was no but tracks. No yeah, was, no there smokes. was there was a there was fresh snowfall. There was like a, a light dusting on the road and on the you know the um, side of the road or whatever leading into the woods. They couldn't find anything. And they searched the next day. No, phone, no sign of her. Never found anything she owned. Never found the phone she had with her. She actually turned off the phone. I think about about an hour and a half before the car accident that she vanished from. So they, they, they don't know what happened, but where she, where she disappeared was a very dense woods. So, yeah, it's, uh, so
2: if you get in there, she, you know, they could just find her bones someday.
1: She's yeah. Who knows? They've, they've scoured the woods, but it's again, it's was just it like cold at night there. Like, uh, I don't think it's not for you folks in Calgary. You probably wouldn't consider <laughs> it very cold. It's, it, um, I don't know. I don't know the climate there. Well, but I, I guess probably pretty similar to, to Quebec because it's not very far from Quebec where she vanished. But she, this was in November, I believe. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking November. But it. Um, she was in really good shape. She was a runner. She went to West Point. She should have been able to survive in the woods if she wanted to for a day or two. Yeah, I guess I wonder how dense the woods were. Because
2: I mean, like back, back home, the woods are dense enough that... You
1: you could wander off the road, and that could be it. Um, And I'm going to correct myself. I've been saying it's been it was November that she vanished. It was February of 2004. Right, right. so cold. Yeah, that's cold. cold. Yeah, in Haverhill, New Hampshire, is where she went. (laughs) Where she went missing. So it's um, yeah, bizarre story. But if people have
2: dedicated 25 podcast episodes, and I don't think I can solve it.
1: I'm willing to bet you can't solve it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, See, but can it, it be
3: solved? Well, that's what's so weird. It reminds me of some well, of the other day, stuff we talked about. It could be like... a
2: random thing. One day they find some bones in the woods identified.
3: Yeah, but and then they'll that, still
2: never know what happened, mm-hmm. unless they find it like wedged between some rocks.
1: Yeah. Or like a notebook or something. But I guess yeah, long like, oh, gone. It's unless a...
2: they're you know a bashed skull or something so that they you know rel you know very apparent foul play. Mm.
1: Uh, another similar case. What attracted me so much to this one is I covered a case not too far from you are from where you are in Victoria, BC. The disappearance of Emma Filipov. Uh, are you familiar with that case? You ever hear about this? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, this um, CBC actually did a special on a, a episode of Fifth Estate on the case. Emma was uh, she vanished from Victoria, BC under very similar circumstances. She basically. Um, I believe her, her family was from Ontario. She moved to BC to work at, at a restaurant. Uh, She was a chef, I believe, or whatever the, whatever the female word for chef is, or maybe it is still chef, but she was working in, um, in Victoria, BC, basically uh, after a series of phone calls to her mother in Ontario, it became apparent that Emma wasn't well, uh, maybe mentally. She was uh, calling her mom crying in distress saying like, you know, I want to come home mom buy me a plane ticket her mom would get her a plane ticket the next day she'd call back and say like actually i'm not going to come right away i just need a bit more time to take care of things and it went back and forth like that for i think a week or two until her mom realized, uh, you know, something's definitely up with, with my daughter and I got to you know, figure this out. And her mother ended up, I don't know if she, I think what she did was she looked at the phone number her daughter was calling from and realized that her daughter was staying in a woman's shelter, not not an apartment uh, with friends, as she has, had told her mom, she was actually in a woman's shelter. So her mother really knew something was up. So her mom bought a plane ticket to go to Victoria, BC, basically to just do a check in on her daughter and, and do whatever needed to be done, bring her home or whatever had to happen. Uh, Her mother showed up, I think three hours after she was last seen, basically the last known sighting of Emma. She was standing in front of a hotel with no shoes on, on a busy intersection and a guy that she had seen a few times at the library, Emma was known to spend a lot of time at the library, a guy that she had met a couple times at the library had seen her and he he came up to say, you know, what's going, is everything okay? And she was obviously in distress. She seemed disoriented and she wasn't making much sense. He offered to help her and she declined. Um, so what he ended up doing was going into a coffee shop near there, calling the police saying, you know, this girl I know, there's something seriously wrong with her. So the police showed up and talked to her. And they, I think they spent about a half hour talking with her in they didn't have grounds to arrest her or whatever. So they just left her there with her shoes on on a busy intersection and she was never seen again. Again, her mother had just missed her by three hours. So they the days leading up to it, just like with Maura Murray, a lot of strange things went on with emma she she was seen on um, when the cbc did the special they aired a lot of the footage the cctv video cameras from the stores around the the woman's shelter that she was living in had filmed her doing strange stuff like she went into this one store and she bought like um i think uh they call them burner phones or whatever like the cell phone you can just set up or whatever she had bought one of those cell phones And then she just kind of stood in the window of the store, like looking out the door and looking out the window. And she just waited a really long time as if she was watching somebody, then finally left the store. Then there's another video of her doing something similar where she bought a prepaid credit card and just kind of hung out in the store really long and then left. And then there's a video of her in the library doing the same thing, just being really disoriented. And left, um, so they don't know what happened to her. But after her mother, um, her mother was in, B- arrived in Victoria again three hours after she went missing. Her mother ended up staying there for two or three weeks, helping the police trying to track her down, passing out flyers looking for her. Her mother also collected all of her belongings, which included a ton of journals that Emma had uh, had authored, that made it pretty obvious to the, her mother that Emma was suffering maybe schizophrenia or some type of mental illness. Um, and that was probably what led to to her bizarre behavior in the days leading up to it. But actually when I did the the story on my show, it's in my second episode, I had told the story of, just like I told you, the disappearance of her. But then um, her mother joined me for the second, pretty much about an hour long interview where her mother told me you know, everything about the case, talked about wow. the three weeks that she was there. Her mother talked about the decision to after three weeks to leave Victoria, B.C., where her daughter was last seen and returned back home to Ontario. So the whole thing was one of the most um, emotional uh, conversations I've ever had with somebody, I think it was my time talking to her mother. Her mother still is very active on Facebook and Twitter. She has a Facebook site all about her daughter's disappearance where she's trying to get anyone who will listen to hear her tell the story and try to, try to be involved in searching for her.
3: Wow. Yeah, that's emotional. <laughs> Yeah, do, you, just, do you do you find with the true crime stuff that you, uh, like, I'm not really that interested in it. So, because it, it almost has this negative uh, vibe. Yeah, chaotic kind of, like, yeah. like, does you, your view of the world change? Because, like, you can look at the world, like, if you look at it in the, you know, the sense where true crime's happening all over the place, it can be pretty negative. Yeah. Or you can look at it and go, well, you know what, we live in a pretty safe area, pretty safe world. Yeah. Like, the chances of something bad happening to you are
1: pretty slim. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely negative and and I I try to cover it sparingly. Like I I my topics I always want to mix them up. Really for me what it's about with a with the true crime story like that is just the mystery. And I think what I'm trying to do whether it's covering a missing person or a UFO sighting or a haunting of a building or an archaeological mystery, I think what it is and I've thought about this a lot, but I think what it is is I'm just trying to find something In the world that's still, you know, interesting and curious, because I feel like now everything is getting so plastic and fake and monotonous and boring. And I'm standing in line waiting to get crappy coffee from a crappy place, lit by fluorescent lighting, and everything's made of, you know, fake-looking wood. I'm just trying to find (laughs) something that makes me think, you know, the world isn't such a miserable, boring place. (laughs) And uh, and really, for me, that's what it is. I'm just on the hunt for something that's going to make me feel like I live on a, in a, you know, in a mysterious dark place.
3: Yeah, that's well said. And 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 you don't need to the truth either. You seem like you're you're pretty good with okay, just leaving the mystery there and not having to know the answers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm all right with that because I want to. I, I'm going to leave that to someone much smarter than me to figure this stuff out, and i uh, when they figure it out and they write the book on it, I'm going to read the book.
3: Yeah, and 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 my feeling is there's not even a lot of real straight answers on a lot of this stuff anyways I don't think no, do any of them like keep you up
1: at night <laughs> oh my uh, yeah I there's there's so much um, and, and stuff will keep me up for different reasons like um the true crime stuff it keeps me up because I'm um, I have a, chi- a young child and the thought of like a missing child like when I think of these people's parents and stuff I couldn't imagine that then when I'm thinking of the the UFO phenomenon or archaeological mysteries just in sometimes I'm going to I'll be going to bed and I'll be laying there worrying about you know something irrelevant that maybe will happen at work the next day or something and to get my mind off that I'm just I will just think about these topics and sometimes I'll just lay in bed just um, daydreaming or I guess night dreaming about you know what may have happened there or what you know what the answer could be so I'm just I'm obsessed with this stuff I just love thinking about it I almost think of it these These types of topics, for me, it's like I use it as a bit of therapy to get through the monotonous life that this present day forces us to live sometimes. So I use it as a bit of therapy. I use it as a bit of entertainment and a bit of a pastime if i'm if I have a long walk somewhere rather than just looking at my shoes, uh, I will you know just daydream about this stuff. so yeah. I'm, a, I'm one of those people where it's like. I have a. If you just come up to me and you say, "What's going on?" I'm probably just going to spit out whatever whatever's on my mind that at that time. There's I'm going to be really deep into something. If you just approach me, I have something on my mind that I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's just the way the way I work.
3: Are you Are you interested at all in that whole counterculture sort of like uh, I don't know how to even say it like zeitgeisty psychedelic kind of modern hippie kind of um you know what I mean like yeah we we I don't know we kind of transverse in and out of that whole that whole thing. And I've been kind of interested since the zeitgeist movies came out. And do you
1: yeah. follow that at all? Uh, I have, I've watched the, and maybe I'm thinking of something else is the, is, is not the zeitgeist movies, the, like the 911 conspiracy kind of thing, or was I think it's the something first different? one. Yeah. The first one I think was that's pretty part 9 of it, 11, yeah. about half or a third of it was. Okay. That's, that's all I had seen. I don't, I don't know a lot about that now. Um, all my psychedelic thoughts, um, once I, uh, got too old to really have fun on the weekends with my friends, that all kind of passed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can't talk about that on air cause my mom could be listening to this. Oh. True that. Fair enough. <laughs> my mom
2: guaranteed will listen.
3: <laughs> Is that why you did one on the air? Like recorded a psychedelic episode?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's no longer. For your mom yeah hey mom <laughs> <laughs> i uh i did um uh, i i battled with including some psychedelic stories and i'm assuming we're talking about the same thing but i did an episode where i did uh, a collection of stories of bizarre things that happened in tim horton's restaurants so for any of your canadian listeners that they know what that is and i just i managed to collect a couple bizarre stories from nova scotia of of crazy things that happened in Tim Horton's restaurant. So I went through the old newspapers and stuff and put it all together. But I was like, I really wanted to include my own because it's like, I'm always at Tim Horton's getting coffee and I've seen so many (laughs) weird things. And my, I had one story that a friend and my, a friend and I experienced and I'm like, I really wanted to include it. But whenever I tried to write it down or whenever I tried to explain it, if I left off the fact that it involved a psychedelic experience. It just it it was hard to get the point across as to how uh, how yeah. crazy it was. Yeah. But basically, um, our story was we were in lineup, and this is a like a Friday night. We we're in the lineup waiting to get. I don't know if we were getting just like coffee or whatever. But we um, there was a, la- a lady in front of us, and she was uh, a heavier set lady, and she had like a big like fleece sweater on, like you know those fuzzy fleece things. And I just kind of remember looking at like where the fleece on the back of the sweater kind of met like her neck and it was just like the jacket the jacket or the big sweater thing it was just kind of dirty and like just the look of it was just kind of grossing me out looking at it and my friend was also looking at the same thing so it was just right in front of our face but as we were both watching it like this gigantic bumblebee like the big fat bee it came out from like inside her sweater and like kind of Walked like up her neck and into like her hairline. So we were both just like, oh my God, are you seeing this? And she was just in front of us. She had like her hair like pulled up in a ponytail. And the bee was just like right where the hair met her neck and it was just like the craziest thing, and we just had to leave the restaurant. But it was—I uh, decided not to include that on my story. But you didn't
3: tell her. Oh, you should have. Yeah, I was thinking—is that a re- so? It was a real bee. It wasn't just a
1: shared yeah, hallucination. Like no, we both we both saw that bee. There was just—I'm uh, <laughs> thinking when she put on. Tell her about the bee. No, <laughs> you,
3: didn't, we were, you didn't. it
1: didn't blow on it
3: and try to get the stinger in the back what of the, the heck head. Heck no, no. I've know.
1: been. I. I've, I've been terrified of bees since I was a little kid. I wanted out of that restaurant oh, at, that's and that's, uh, that's what we did. Yeah. But it's, uh, that episode when I did all the Tim Hortons ones, it was, uh, there's some strange things that happened at Tim Hortons restaurants around here. And I'm sure it's probably the same there. If you just look into it, we had, uh, in Cape Breton, which is a, an Island in Nova Scotia. I'm sure you've yeah, heard Yeah, my of...
3: family's from there or part of my family's from there actually. Uh,
1: oh, right, oh, right heritage, on. Do you know, oh. do you know what part,
3: uh, no, not off the top of my head. Okay, <laughs> if you said fine. it, I would probably remember it. It's a kind of a, right. a very uh, cool name, cute name or something. I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking. Okay. Here.
1: Um, anyway, uh, in Cape Breton, when I was in high school, this thing happened where there was a Tim Hortons restaurant and it's uh, just kind of like on the main highway. The Tim Hortons restaurants off the highway, kind of up a hill. So when you're driving on the highway, you can kind of see there's a hill and then you just see like the red brick wall at the side of a Tim Hortons. When I was in high school, I don't know really how it even started. Um but somebody believed they saw the face of Christ in the brick. Like the the way the kind of the lights hit the brick, it appeared to be the face of Christ. And as the word started to getting getting around to people, everyone would drive down there to get a look at the brick and everybody who saw it would agree like, "Oh my god, you know, there's Jesus's face <laughs> on these bricks." And it became like it got to the point where people from all around Atlanta, Canada, were coming, and it was almost like Woodstock. There was pe- there was people had lawn chairs and coolers. They brought their barbecues there. All the they even were diverting traffic because all the streets were blocked. There was people everywhere, and the the Tim Hortons, like the the company themselves, they were really freaked out because they were worried someone was going to get hurt on the property because it was just like it was a circus. How wild this was all the new every newspaper around was reporting on it and putting the pictures up and all this stuff but tim horton's uh they had to find some answer because where it was so busy and then a major highway was going right through there it was just a matter of time before somebody got got hit by a car or whatever what they ended up doing was they um they removed all the lights from the, the restaurant and kind of replace them with a different style of light in a different area. So now when the light comes down on the brick, it didn't you know reflect in such a way that it looked like the face of Christ. <laughs> and they, they did that. They changed the lights in the middle of the night, one night and the next day, you know, he was gone and everybody just left. Ha. Huh. Yeah. There's so some uh, paradoia for you. Is that what it is? Is that the word? Yeah. Paradoia. <laughs> yeah. But it was a uh, quite a time. And just the fact that it happened at the Tim Hortons is pretty sweet.
2: Nice. Yeah, I guarantee you, some interesting things have happened at that uh, Tim Hortons there on like Thirty Eighth Street. And
1: oh, in our
2: yeah,
3: oh yeah, every night probably.
1: True crime too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. True well, crime. It's it's such Tim. I like think in Canada, Tim Hortons is such. It's you know the cross section of of society. Like you can go in there and you'll see anybody. You know, every walk of life. They're all just sitting in there chatting about you know whatever.
2: It's funny, you know, and it just kind of happened overnight. Like I'm, the, there was no Tim Hortons when I was a kid, and then all of a sudden, fucking
1: everywhere. I'm yeah, like everywhere now. They're in where I'm at in Halifax. There's some spots you can stand at an intersection, you can see three different Tim Hortons. You know, just within eyesight. It's you know, it's just it's everywhere. Yeah, but, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, stuff. in
2: London, Ontario, there's an intersection that there's one on each corner. That's hilarious. just because of the way the traffic's set up, you can't really get to the, each other, so they just fucking. It's probably the same guy owns them all. I bet. And he probably makes a fortune. Yeah, he's getting each commuter, everyone going each direction.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Why can't I find Halifax on the map here? I was looking at uh, Cape Breton.
1: Yeah, Halifax is not on Cape Breton. Halifax, no, 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 is no on, but it's
3: on Nova Scot. It's in Nova Scotia, right?
1: Yeah, it sure is. Where it's uh, pretty much right in the middle of Nova Scotia. You'll see uh, Cape Breton's off to the right. Yeah. Uh, right pretty much in the center is uh, is Halifax, Halifax and Dartmouth. Yeah, isn't it the capital? Oh, Dartmouth, it, really, yeah, Dar-
3: it shows Dartmouth there, but it doesn't show Halifax.
1: And it's funny. Halifax is the bigger city. Halifax yeah, is the capital. Is capital I'm pretty sure. Um, it yeah, show
3: it here. It just shows Dartmouth. That's very strange. Yeah, that's where I was looking. but
1: I knew a fella from
2: Dartmouth. Oh,
1: yeah? You're only 5,000 uh, kilometers away, 48, 38 away. Wow. Yeah, but it's a it's a nice uh, nice place down here, and we got a lot of bizarre things that happened. But oddly enough, Nova Scotia, given its size, we have two uh, world renowned mysteries. We have Oak Island, which uh, you probably heard of. It's covered. You, you should run
2: us through that when you have time.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, there's there's nothing I'd rather That's talk good, about. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm going out there. Um, I got three sets of tickets. They they do tours on the island. Uh, I have three sets of tickets um, for tours this summer. Uh, I'll give you the. I'll compress two hundred and twenty-one years of history and about. Th- that's yeah, yeah, what I'll try yeah, to do. for sure. We, we
3: have a listener. I just want to shout out before we forget a local mm-hmm. listener. Do you remember Wood Wood uh, Hard Hardwood? Who is it, Darren? Hard- Brent. Stout. Yeah, Brent. Yeah, he uh, he always wants us to do Oak Island. So here is
1: your Oak Island show. Here you, you yeah. get it just for this you, is Brent. Where you get it. <laughs> so uh, so Brent already knows all about this, but basically Oak Island is. Is, as far as people know, pretty much the world's longest running treasure hunt. It's uh, Oak Island's the small island off the coast of Nova Scotia. There's, a, there's an area where I think there's two or three hundred small little islands, Oak Island being one of them. Basically, it all started to, about 221 years ago. Uh, it has a paranormal beginning. It actually there was a there was a teenager. He was on a little fishing boat and he saw some strange lights coming from the island. And this uh, back at this time, again two hundred twenty one years ago, there was a lot of um, um, rum running, like people. Uh, You you couldn't, whatever the word is, you couldn't buy alcohol in stores and stuff. So people were kind of selling like bootlegging liquor and selling it on their own. And what they were often doing is they were hiding it on these small islands and then they go out with their boats, grab the liquor or grab whatever and go somewhere else and sell it. So he saw the lights and his first thought was it was probably someone on there either burying something or hiding something like a cache of alcohol. Um, he saw the lights. He went over to the island, uh, snuck over to where he saw the lights, and he didn't find anything except he found a, a large tree with what appeared to be kind of like a pulley hanging from, like it was like the wheel from a pulley kind of like hanging from a branch. And below that, there was just kind of a depression in the soil. So it was obviously a, like disturbed, but it looked like it was just disturbed a long time ago. And his thought was, I'm going to come back you know, tomorrow with a few friends and we're going to dig here and find a bunch of alcohol or a bunch of gold or something. So anyway, the next day he comes back now with two or three of his friends. They do some digging. They get a couple feet down and what they found was a layer of flagstones, which are like a uh, big flat stones, a whole layer of them. So it was kind of like um, it made like a flat surface like that. Maybe you would use flagstones for like a walkway or something. So it was just kind of a square of flagstones and he lifted them up and they started digging thinking, you know, whatever we're going to find is right below here. They dug down a little bit further, and then they hit a uh, a layer of logs. So it was just logs running parallel with each other, um, just forming another just you know another flat area. So again, now they're thinking we're going to remove these logs and find the treasure. And they dug down, and I think they got another ten feet further and hit another layer of logs that was almost exactly ten feet below the prior. At that point they were literally in over their heads it was just too big of a hole they couldn't manage it so what they decided to do was fill the whole thing in and come back when they had a bit of money to bring to get some equipment so i think it was about 2 or 3 years later they had formed a company uh, and got investors solely for the purpose of going back and digging up whatever they believe was was below here they thought for sure it was man made because it was the layer of flagstones a layer of logs, 10 feet further, another layer of logs. So they go back now and uh, two or three years later with some money and some equipment. And I think they managed to get down about 40 feet at this point, I believe. I'm just going off the top of my head. And as they got down about 40 feet, they were finding every 10 feet, a layer of logs. So again, obviously hmm. to them appearing to be man-made. And not only were they finding a layer of logs, a lot of times on top of the layer of the logs was, was either packed clay And it was a type of clay that wasn't commonly found in this part of Nova Scotia. Uh, And in one part, they found a layer of logs. And on top of the logs was a thick layer of packed coconut fiber. And anyone who's visited Nova Scotia would know that coconut trees don't grow down here. So obviously something strange going on. They got... um, I think, I think they got about 40 feet down before they ran out of money and gave up their search. And pretty much the history after that is they would they, give, they ran out of money and gave up. Somebody else took over, got a little bit further, found more logs every 10 foot and, get, and would eventually run out of money and give up. The island also took a few lives. There was, um, there was a, a, a collapse of a mine at one point that killed uh, a father and two of his sons there was a guy who died in an explosion where he was working down in the mine next to a gas generator that exploded. So there's a couple deaths along the way. Somebody fell into I think a 90 foot pit and died. So anyway, six people up to this point had died doing this. But really, where it stands now is they managed to get down to below 90 feet, and at that point, some really weird stuff happens. At 90 feet depth, again, now finding logs every 10 feet, they found something that people call the nine. 90- 90 foot stone, and it was basically a large rectangle stone with an engraving, uh, with the, some type of bizarre lettering engraved into the stone. The stone was sitting right up, right on top of the logs at the 90 foot level. That stone has since gone missing. Nobody knows where it is, but there's there's drawings of what the words on the stone look like, and nobody can really agree on what it says. But the most commonly accepted version is something along the lines of, I think, 40 feet below. Uh, five million pounds are buried or some, it's something along those lines, a certain amount of buried. And people are thinking maybe that's going to be, you know, a bunch of gold below there. So where it, where what happens from there, so they find the stone at the 90 feet level, all these different people over the 221 years are, are buying shares to do the search, starting companies, running out of money, people dying. Uh, until the, the modern history of it is a guy from the States, his name is uh, Dave uh, or Dan Blankenship. He is, uh, he still lives on the Island. Now he had read about it. The, the Oak Island treasure hunt in a, uh, a, a reader's digest. This was back, I think in the fifties or sixties, he was fascinated by it. And he's a, a metal worker by trade. He was living, I think in Miami, Florida. And he, uh um, read it, wrote it in the Reader's Digest and just fell in love with the mystery and thought, I can solve this. And he from Miami had been trying to get in touch with the people who at the time owned and worked on Oak Island were doing the treasure hunt there. He couldn't reach them. So he decided to get in the car with his lawyer and his son and they were going to drive from Miami to Nova Scotia, which is quite a drive. And they planned to just show up on Oak Island with a briefcase and buy in. Uh, They got there. They met with the people who were doing the search the people who are doing with the search, doing the search uh, wanted no more partners. You know, let them do a tour of the island, but said we're not interested in any help. You know, thanks but no thanks kind of thing. So uh, Dan Blankenship, his son David, and their lawyer then turned around and they're driving home. And I think they were maybe around uh, Ontario when they they stopped at a hotel to spend the night. And they got a call during the night saying, "Did you hear what happened at Oak Island?" And Dan Blankenship says, "You know, no, what happened at Oak Island." And I guess the people he had met with the day prior, the the shaft that they were digging actually collapsed and killed them all. So what he ended up doing was the next morning he got back in the car and turned around and went back to Oak Island to try to get in with whoever was going to take over after these people. And what he ended up doing was uh, was. Pretty much buying uh, controlling shares of the of the island and the treasure hunt, and as I said, is he still lives there? He's a very old man now. I actually have some photos of myself with him on Facebook. because I, I had <laughs> met him last summer, but he's uh, he's still living on the island, and he's been he's been searching there his whole life, along with his son. His name is David Blankenship. Um, he lives on the island with his dad as well. I had David Blanketship on my podcast telling me the story of showing up on the island many moons ago to try to strike a deal with, uh, with the prior owners at that point. But they um, at this point now, what's going on is um, the History Channel is doing the show, The Curse of Oak Island. And it's pretty much investigating a lot of the things that the that happened during Blankenship's control of the island. But they're just kind of tying up a lot of loose ends of weird little stories and mysteries and th- theories of what's happening on the island. There's there's a lot to it that hints to it being man made, like the the layers of logs every ten feet. There's also a beach that um, appears to be man made that also has a. Uh, flood tunnels. Basically what it is is the, sh- the shaft that I explained, people call it the money pit where they're finding the logs every 10 feet. Uh, a, a big problem with digging there is is the thing fills up with with seawater so often. So they'll dig down. Once you get down so far, just so much water is rushing in that, that it's really hard to dig any further. What they were trying to do was control the water rushing in and flooding this money pit where yeah. they believe the treasure to be uh-huh. But what they ended up finding was drainage tunnels all around the island that appeared to be man-made. That from these, this man-made beach that I mentioned, they they found these like uh, rocks stacked in such a way that it, it would let the water run from the sea through the center of the island into this pit and basically flood it. People believe it's um, it's it was a type of booby trap that was set up there to prevent somebody unauthorized, uh, from finding whatever's, whatever's hidden down there. But to this point, aside from a few bits of metal that, uh, that were found, you know, about 180 feet below the ground, they, they haven't found anything, you know, worth any money, but they found enough and saw enough evidence of, you know, human activity that all these people over the last 221 years have been so invested in it that they've, you know, some people lost their lives working on it. So, it's uh, it's quite the mystery.
3: I wonder,
2: you know, it's like nothing could have gone down that deep that long ago. I don't think, unless it was a different. Uh,
3: well, there was logs down there.
2: Yeah, right? I know, but, feet but 180 feet where you got seawater washing out without like really high tech machinery.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's... I wonder
2: if it's like from a different climate time. You know what I mean?
3: Oh, like going way back, maybe they found way
2: back.
1: Something. Yeah, ice
2: agey, it, it, right? Like during the ice age, if you came up there, I wonder if
1: the sea level wouldn't have been as much of a problem. Yeah, good point. Interesting to to hear that. It's um, my thought. What could explain it is just a natural sinkhole. But there's just there's having the logs every ten feet. It would be weird. Like where I lived, where I grew up in Cape Breton, there was an area behind my house that people used to throw like old fridges and stuff there. And it was just like this big pit and the world just, or the earth just kind of swallowed up whatever you threw in it. We used to call it the dump because you could throw stuff in it. And it was just a sinkhole that would just kind of swallow everything up. But when I think of Oak Island, sometimes I think about that place, but I don't know. it just seems like there's finding the little bits of metal and just some of the other odd things they found, like, like rocks that seemed out of place that if you look at it from, from above, it seems to, um, it seems to have intelligent design, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a believer that there's something strange going on in Oak Island. Uh, I visit often. I was there three times last year, and I'm going to go three times this year as well. Wow. I can't. Yeah. Does the show do it
3: justice? Or
1: yeah, well this the show. Some people going to complain about it because it it is like there's a lot of uh, just like every other show on TV. There's half of the show is like recapping what already happened. Then there's about 25% is, you know, what's about to happen. So you could kind of take a full season of the show and just make an hour and a half long documentary. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the rest of it's just recap and what's coming next. So people complain about that. But my thought about it is for the last, you know, 220, 218 <laughs> years, if you wanted to know about Oak Island, you had to like, get books and read them. And you saw pictures of it and stuff, but watching the show, like in high definition, you see what they're doing and you get to hear interviews with the main players and stuff. So although I have some criticisms about the production of the show, I'm glad it's on TV and you yeah. know I love watching it. Yeah. But you know, it could be a lot worse. Cause I've been I've been into Oak Island since I was a little kid. Like I learned about it and I think in like grade two or three or something, they told me about it in school. So I've been interested in it since then, read a bunch of books on it. And when I heard there was gonna be a TV show, coming out, you know, investigated it. I was absolutely pumped because it's, you know, it's getting big exposure and getting to see it firsthand. Like that's very cool. I think I got it. They buried it <laughs> when it was the ice age.
2: Mm-hmm. And then when it wasn't the ice age, the water came up and it's washed it away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well
1: yeah, I think we got, it's... we got
2: time for another one. I like the stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. that, well, Oak Island's cool because it's just, you know, people all around, it's around Nova Scotia. People roll their eyes when you're talking about the treasure on Oak Island because everybody's heard it and they're like, you know, there's, and that's bullshit. But it's all over the world. People are into it. I'm on, um, well, for one, I did a few episodes of my show. So I'm getting emails from people from, again, countries I've never heard of that are talking to me about Oak Island. But I'm on a bunch of different like Facebook groups and all this stuff of uh, people who are very, very, very into Oak Island, and they're from all over the world. and And they're not on there just talking about the TV show. They're like uploading pictures of old maps that they got through you know some random archive or whatever. And these people are analyzing the maps and seeing how it relates to you know this here person who traveled from you know across the free world in the you know 1400s or something. They're trying to go through the history to try to find some smoking gun to figure out who actually did all this stuff so it's a you know there's there's a lot of people who are very very into oak island well,
3: what's your sense about the future of it like what's going to happen is, is somebody going to really make an effort to get to the bottom of it
1: if if bottom? if i think what at this point for for that to happen it's going to have to be because of popularity the tv show because it's it's going to cost a lot of money to do anything and i there's either going to be somebody who's loaded rich that's going to throw down a lot of their own money that could do it and if that happens that it'd be great to solve the mystery but it would kind of suck if we can't see what happens but if this tv show if it continues to be as popular as it is then maybe it's just going to be worth it for the history channel to put the money up because i I'm, I'm sure they got a lot of money to do that if you know if enough people are watching but yeah i don't know what's going to happen they're on the show there there's a lot of different theories and stuff and they're running a lot of them down and and either proving them wrong altogether or proving them unlikely so if the show does much more than another season or two then it it may get uh, it may get complicated for them to find new new stories on the island to cover but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I would love for them to solve it conclusively. But again, if after 221 years, it hasn't been solved as to what's going on there. I don't know if it's, if it's ever going to be.
2: Huh. They got to do a cross promotion with the uh, gold mine, Alaska guys. <laughs> and some ice road truckers. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We'll get the ice road truckers helping out. <laughs> Give dog
1: the bounty hunter a shovel. <laughs> Oof. I think he went racist. Oh, yeah. Ed- edit that out. <laughs> Believe it or not, I don't follow the dog, the bounty hunter story. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. So I think my
3: my uh, my roots are some of my my dad's side. I think they come from Port Hood. Oh, nice. Yeah, is it pretty? It's pretty beautiful in Cape Breton Island, isn't it? Oh my
1: God, yeah, it's yeah. God's country. It's uh, the only problem is um, there's uh, probably enough job. There's probably not enough jobs down there for the three of us to go. Yeah, it's uh, the economy's yeah. just just crap, but it's uh, yeah. Yeah. absolutely beautiful. We could beautiful podcast, place. though. Yeah, I guess that's maybe that's the secret. That's the industry they need to set up. Is the they need to export podcasting. Well, the yeah. only problem is that all of our lovely accents don't really translate well to uh, yeah. people off the island.
3: You know, well, you know what's interesting. This is what's happening, right? And I was on Vancouver Island. Uh, my sister works for a virtual reality gaming studio, so mm-hmm. they're developing some of the new VR stuff, and they're on a little tiny town qualcomm beach on vancouver island and that's kind of like some of the new industry in these little places like people are like fuck the city it's too expensive in vancouver to even live so it is actually attracting technical tech companies out there right to get a good internet connection and all that and then that's where people will go so it'll be interesting i think to see in the next five or ten years when it doesn't really matter where you're fucking living
1: yeah well things are going that way so that that would be cool i would pretty much do anything to move back there if I could it's just uh again you need you need to bring some money in it's the Mac oh, okay
2: very common name down there yeah <laughs> so the, <laughs> <course>. the Dunlock <laughs> clan hails from Port Hood
3: well yeah Mac was on my my grandma's side probably hmm. so my grandma's brothers and sisters were probably all from Port Hood
1: hmm. Troublemakers yeah oh yeah but it's a, a very beautiful place, Cape Breton Island. I oh, hope I some, someday the economy turns around. I bet they need fishing back, right? Yeah, At fishing, this point, and it'd be fishing and
2: offshore oil rigging.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, we may not be alive to see that place turn around. But uh, but uh, aside from Oak Island and the beauty of Cape Breton, we also have the uh, world-renowned, uh, well, Canada's only uh, government investigated UFO sighting, oh, the Shag Shay Hey, that Darren, was one, one of Darren my Darren favorites. The Actually,
3: I email, I think I emailed him that way. Back oh, did away. you? I think I told him that.
1: So I'm glad you uh, brought it up because I totally forgot. Yeah, it's a um, very cool story, and it's something that. It, we call it Canada's Roswell because it's it's so well known. There's so much uh, documentation that the government kept because what ended up happening, the Shag Harbour incident, was uh, initially reported as a, a possible aircraft crash or an airplane crash. So I guess there's protocol that the you know the government has or whatever when when an airplane crashes. So when all the reports came in of an airplane crashing into Shag Harbour. People just went crazy. The government, search and rescue, the police—all this stuff. Everybody was sent out to try to figure out what was going on and, you know, rescue the survivors. But when all was said and done, they didn't find an airplane. So it's uh, that's what really makes it a, what makes it interesting. There's there's some evidence of, of a cover up, or as well as some evidence of maybe. Um, the government not being completely forward with what they, what the, how deep the investigation was, but basically the story, the coles, the coles notes version of the story, and again, Shag Harbor, you could, you could do, a, I could get you names of some people who could give you, you know, a four hour lecture on what happened there, but basically the, the story is, uh, this one, this one evening, uh, this all happened in, uh, in sixty seven, it was October fourth of sixty seven. Uh, during that night, um, all across Nova Scotia, really, there was reports of weird things happening in the sky. There was, um, and a lot of it was documented. One was an Air uh, an Air Canada uh, pilot actually saw something bizarre. He was just outside of Montreal, saw something bizarre outside of his window that appeared, to, as he was flying, that appeared to be... Uh, uh, a bright light connected to a dark object. Anyway, um, where, where it all really gets going is around Nova Scotia, people are seeing the lights in the sky or whatnot. And this one guy, the first guy who reported it, he was driving with uh, driving down a dark road outside or just by Shag Harbor, which is a, a harbor. He had four or five friends in the car. And just above the tree line, he could see um, just a line of lights. I think he described it as four lights And they were kind of at an angle, but they were all parallel with each other, like forming a straight line. And they were just moving kind of almost with the speed of his car just above the tree line. And what he thought it was, was the lights that would be on the wing of a plane. And he thought it was a plane that was kind of like sideways, like maybe spinning out of control. And he was, you know, they're all like, oh my God, look at that plane above the tree line sort of thing. So he was, um, he really stepped on the gas to try to keep up with the plane to see what was going on. And he, he said he couldn't hear it or anything. It's just You could just see the four lights that just kind of had a yellowish tint. And they some, sometimes appeared to be blinking on and off and whatnot. And they just kind of followed them. And as they, as they kind of rounded a corner, they could see the four lights come over the tree line, cross the road, and just head into the harbor until the lights descended into the harbor. So they right away thought they witnessed a, an, an airplane kind of flying on an angle crashing into shag harbor so he um he drove just past the harbor briefly to a payphone, and he called to report uh, what he had saw to i don't know if he called the police or who he called but he reported it and as he was reporting it there was i think three three or four other people from that area unrelated related to him that were reporting it using the same terminology like we just saw an aircraft with four lights crashing into Shag Harbor. So the uh, when he was on the phone at the payphone with them, he was a, uh, a fisherman and he knew he was talking to, the, I think, the local police at this point because he was getting transferred around as he was reporting it. He was telling the local police exactly where he was and exactly where the lights were. And they told him to go back there and wait by the harbor for them to arrive so he could, so he could show them where it was. And when him and his little group of friends in the car got to the harbor, shag harbor they could see the lights below the surface it was it was well offshore but they could see to them what they thought was an airplane sinking or just under the water they could see the bright lights and whatnot so they wait the police arrive and they show the police you know you see the lights in the harbor there and by now a crowd's starting to form and everybody's on the shore watching the light under the water and it's getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer they think it's either, either sinking. Or the light is just slowly, maybe it's running out of power or whatever. So as, as they're all there, what ends up happening is one of the guys who's amongst the crowd that are watching the light, he was a fisherman as well, and he had a boat not far by. So... And um, the guy that I mentioned that had phoned the the first responder that had phoned the police from the pay phone, he went and got on the boat with the guy uh, as well. A few other people went out there and they drove out to where the light was thinking they were going to be finding, you know, bodies all over the place and scooping people up in their boat because they were going out there, you know, fire, on adrenaline basically to pull bodies Search out of the rescue. water. Exactly, like because they were waiting for the actual search and rescue to arrive, but they're thinking we're going to go out there and maybe save 15 people. So they um, they get out there and by the time they get out there is just as the light is completely disappearing, but where they get just above the light, um, at this point they could barely see a light. But what, what there was was a thick um, – they described it as like – I don't know if you've been near a lot of water in your life, but you find that I think they call it like sea soap where it's like just this like foamy, bubbly crap. They they said that the whole area above where the light was was just this thick yellow foam that had kind of a sulfuric smell to it. They were even like reaching over the side of the boat and just scooping it up. And I guess from time to time, if it's like a bacteria or something that'll get in the water, it'll cause a bit of this like scummy foam. But this was on like that. They said it was like, you know, a really thick thick foam, unlike anything they ever they ever saw in that area. And um, so they're there, they they find no people, no pieces of whatever floating around from an airplane. And the actual search and rescue arrives, uh, finding the foam, but no bodies. There's divers sent down. They didn't find anything. And at this point, they, uh, till today, they have no idea what had happened. They hadn't found anything unusual under there. However, there are some... Stories. Somebody, uh, I think two days later, and I think it may be more than one person, I think two separate unrelated people uh, say that they witnessed the light um, leaving the water, like from a different part of the harbor. They saw a series of lights come out of the water and ascend into the sky. So some people think maybe whatever landed down there hung out for a day or two and then took off. Um, Also, there's been some reports of people saying they saw late at night divers... Pulling stuff, debris out of the water, bringing it into vehicles and leaving. So some people have the whole theory that they found evidence of something down there, a UFO or whatnot, and you know, got it out of there before anybody really got a good look at it. So nobody really knows what happened. But what makes Shake Harbor so unique and interesting is it was government documented. So all this stuff is, you know, it's official and it's and it's true. But it's also just there's so many unique eyewitnesses that are unrelated to each other that it's there's no question that, you know, that something bizarre happened. Yeah, it's one of those
3: cases that just doesn't get the credit it deserves either. You know, it, yep. it's it's sort of like uh <clears throat> the flap the flaps in the um oh now I'm gonna lose my train of thought there. The one the flaps in New York at uh mm-hmm. what am I thinking?
2: Hmm. I don't know. I like the foam though. Is kind of like that weird reaction between the salt water and the shore, and slapping, and the air gets in there a little bit. I'm sure. I wonder if some sort of weird exhaust couldn't couldn't have the same kind of effect. Is there any like U.S.
1: naval bases south of there? Uh, Not that I know of. I don't think there's any anything. There's not much of anything. Boston,
3: Boston is like that's the almost the closest uh, uh, harbor to Boston from uh, from Canada. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah, it's really kind. Of, like you can see it on the map. I like got there. Yeah. Is
2: there military bases around Boston? I mean, there must oh, be. Probably. Yeah. That's a yeah. long haul underwater, though. <laughs> yeah,
3: and well, no, it crashed. Have... It flew and crashed before it got there.
2: Oh, you think it crashed, yeah. and then they just came and just grabbed
1: it, yeah. got rid of it could be and it's i've actually i haven't done a lot of research into it but i i i know that some people do believe there's some kind of like they you know like a ufo is an unidentified flying object but there's also a u so yeah. like an yeah. unidentified submerged object and i'm just i i haven't climbed down that rabbit hole but i just wonder if there's not something to that yeah for sure you should man there's some uh, there's a book coming out just
3: just uh, recently some two guys are coming out with uh
1: some USO USO books.
3: books yeah and there's some really good old books as well. There's a ton of cases. I mean, some people say there's more credible USO cases than UFOs. Even it's pretty interesting. Yeah, Hudson interesting. Hudson Valley was a flap I was thinking of. Like for years, yes. thousands of people saw UFOs and like it's Going still into the still No, no, more of just a big, big, massive. I think there were some big triangles in there and some big, big craft flying around the valley.
2: The thing mm. about USOs is it's trickier to. F- fucking fly something around underwater than it is in space. In the air, you mean, or in space.
3: Yeah. So we had this guy on Terry Terry Ray, he had the Invasion of the Orange Orbs book and and he had um done all this data collection from Mufon. I think it was only Mufon. And I mean, I mean eventually it could even be more. He could get the uh, New Fork stuff as well. but So he had all the MUFON accounts, and he, and he put them into a database, and he mapped them out on a map. And it's pretty interesting how he figured that there was three areas in the ocean. And the one Great off Lakes the Cad- too, right? Yeah, I don't remember that. There was one of the Great Lakes too, you think? Where, I, th- I
2: thought there was a Great Lakes connection
3: Where as well. a lot of these uh, orb sightings were coming from. And uh, like there was multiple, you know, around Catalina Island and even the way they were moving and the same time at night. And yeah, it was pretty interesting stuff.
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, there's definitely with the UFO phenomenon, there's definitely something to it. I think there's there is too much smoke for there not to be a bit of fire, but it's, it's hard to prove it. I found or, or hard to investigate it. Like I found in any time I covered the UFO phenomenon, you're just, it's like you're chasing a ghost. It's so hard to figure out what happened and even the the theories that there are it's always you know it's almost always unprovable very rarely is there a credible photo and it, and, and you kind of you got to everything that relates to it's almost disputed so it's it's really hard to, to trace it down
3: hmm. my my mom's asking do, do you know about the book fair is the place what does she mean what does that <laughs>
2: <laughs> what did, what does it say
3: does he know about the book? Fair is the place.
2: Fair is the place.
3: Oh, the book. Fair is the place. No, let me. Okay. Uh, All right, <clears throat> it's okay. <laughs> it's it's probably some Cape Breton thing.
1: Uh,
3: where where are you from in Cape Breton?
1: I am from uh, the. Book, uh, or can you I'll say just, that on here? Oh yeah, I'm from <laughs> Sydney, the big city. Oh, uh, I'm go- i just Googled. Uh, Fair is the place. It's a genealogy book. I, oh, uh, no, I hadn't heard about it, but. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, Thanks, I, Mom. I know it. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I did find, I don't know anything about it. You can tell her, no, I don't, but <laughs> I'll, I'll read about it because it sounds up my alley. Yeah. But, but I'm from, uh, I'm from Sydney, which is like the biggest city in Cape Breton, but that's not saying much. I think it's a city of 30,000. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if this is true, but I did hear it was the teen pregnancy capital of Canada.
3: how <laughs> <laughs> much to do in Sydney. I think no, Banff is not- the STD capital
1: of, yeah. uh of so should, we should get those two together. Oh, yeah, and have a real good time. We yeah. get them some toxoplasmosis yeah, some, and just <laughs> see fucking, what happens. Some Banff to Sydney party buses. <laughs> you wouldn't want yeah.
3: Sydney overrun by all the Aussies and B- Banff. Bus loose. Sure.
1: Oh, yeah, but Sydney also not only uh, was it the teen pregnancy capital, as far as I know, I don't know if that's true. That's what we always said growing up. Also, I believe it was the, uh, the cancer capital of Canada. We're uh, home of uh, the the most famous thing about Sydney probably is the, uh, we have the terrapons. You ever heard of this? No. Okay. So it was, we had uh, the, the city's basically built on a uh, once upon a time that it was all, the city just grew around a steel plant. It was back in the day. It was like the, the steel center of like Canada. all, all wow. the, steel was being way, made way out there. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the, the Harbor we had, they could ship it off to wherever it needed to go. And we had a lot of mines. So we had a lot of, uh, or whatever it is. But anyway, um, back in the day when they did steel working, they didn't really care too much about what they did with their waste. So they just dumped it in this, um, this big, like, I guess, lake that was pretty, it's pretty much right downtown in Sydney was right yeah, next right. to the steel plant for years and years and years. They just dumped whatever the crap was that, that was the runoff from the the steel working into this area. It became known as the tar ponds because it was just like a black tar lake then what happened was um modern day comes and they realize it's not good to have a black tar lake downtown especially when everybody was coming down with odd types of cancer that lived around there <laughs> they try- yeah they tried to clean it up so what they did initially was they built a huge incinerator it was just a massive building where they could bring this stuff in yeah. burn it and keep burning it until they get it all get rid of it all but anyway, what ended up happening, it was it was so the, the tar or whatever it was, was so thick and full of like heavy metals or whatever that if they took, let's say, like a liter of this liquid and they burned it, they came up with almost about as exactly as much ash. So they couldn't burn it because as quickly as you burnt it, you were left with just as much ash. So it was like clogging up the machine or whatever. So that, that didn't work. So they just tore down the incinerator. And, uh, and waited, I guess, another 15 years or so before they came up with another idea. And what they've done now is they um, they encased the entire thing in a rubber membrane. So they basically dug out underneath it and uh, around the sides. And they just have it basically in a huge rubber bag. They, they encased that, and I think in concrete... And then they put soil over the whole thing. And now it's just a nice park downtown. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Cancer Park. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. So now there's just people riding their bikes around there and, you know, the kids running off, but... Is that close uh, to the sinkhole? Um, Maybe the, the sink-
2: sinkhole is back door into the Ooh. into the tar pits.
1: Yeah, no, different, different neck of the woods. But with uh, the tar ponds, <laughs> like when I was... It sounds funny to say the tar ponds, but when I was... A teenager, we just, you know, if it was a hot day, you didn't want to go down there because it stank so bad on a hot day.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right downtown. Down in my hometown,
2: there's tailing ponds all over the place. What is that? It's like just the same idea for mine waste. They look pretty. though.
1: Yeah. I think they have like a
2: purification process. I mean, I wouldn't want to go swimming in there, but I've like Mm -hmm. driven the perimeter.
3: Wow. So since we're talking about hometowns and mining waste, so I was driving through Logan Lake, right? the other day when I went to, I I lived there for like a year and a half when we moved out from Montreal and uh, my dad worked at a big mine in Ashcroft and I haven't seen it in fuck like 25 years, maybe 30, no, probably more than that. Like yeah, 30, 35 years. And I was driving by the mine in Ashcroft and it was like a different world. It was this huge, huge mine sprawling for miles with this huge lake. With white, like it just looked like, what the fuck? This is right in the middle of the forest, or like on these. I mean, it was a beautiful drive, but it did seem like there was a lot of waste sitting in this man-made lake right next to a massive mine. Like it was pretty gross.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, that's a tailings pond.
3: But part of it, it was also beautiful as well. Like in some ways, because it was, it looked like a different world. It looked like it was one of those. You know, like fucking movie out of Star Wars or something like that, a f-
1: world out of Star Wars. Like like pink water with, you know, neon green fish jumping around in it? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you could go fishing in there.
3: Yeah, pretty gross. I wouldn't
2: need anything out of that, but you might catch something cool. So we all yeah. come from
3: little hometowns with fucking, fucking crazy Virginia. environmental destruction.
1: Yeah, well, there's just, there's so much of it from back then. And it's like the the more time passes, the more people, re- I think, realize how dangerous this stuff is. So it's, uh, it becomes the thing of legends, but yeah, it's, yeah. Halifax where I'm in now. We don't have any of that. We're a nice, uh, nice clean city. Yeah, it is nice. I was there a little while ago. It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 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 No, it's a, it's a great city. It's college city. So there's lots of fun stuff to do. And it's, there's so many different, you know, road trips you can take from here. So it's, it's a great place to be. That's for sure. That's where that Close Encounters record came from, Darren. You know, when I smashed when yeah. I was drunk. Yeah, <laughs> probably like the soundtrack to the movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, cool. But you found a record store here or something? No, it's a weird, some weird gothic
3: art store, kind of. Cool. Yeah, you probably. Well, that's a, it. <laughs> probably
1: that. That's a find. Yeah. I'd love to get that. Are you yeah. related to Napoleon? Oh, I'd like to think so. My family's it's his family's pretty uh it's pretty obvious like they have like his history or whatever the whatever you call that they know like who is the current heirs or ancestors or whatever like they have it all traced down and my name is not on the Wikipedia if you go so, looking uh, no. look through it well but you can edit it
2: why don't you just get on as an editor what? and just keep popping it in there?
1: that that's what I should do uh, but it's like if you look at younger pictures of them and you look at a picture of me we have some similar features and I did, uh, at one point in my life, my friends were all playing risk and, you know, the board game mm-hmm. and I had never played it and I agreed to, and I just like kicked the ass. And I also was like, um, got obsessed with it for a while. All I wanted to do was play risk. And then it just hit me. I'm like, you know, maybe I am related to Napoleon. Cause that's, you know, I'm really into this game. So I remember and- risk phase too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 That was, um, I, I quit playing Risk when I quit smoking in my twenties because uh, it was for us that when we played Risk, it was just, really it was we were just sitting there chain smoking, stressing out, uh, and so when when we all stopped smoking, Risk just wasn't as appealing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember then the the like how many
2: men you would get would would keep going up, yeah, and we'd have like, oh really? You'd have to drink every like couple times so you'd have a join out one of them and then another one everyone has to do a shot by the end of the game it's just a mess there's all these little pieces everywhere it's, it was yeah, always pretty fun though yeah
3: we yeah we should set up game. a
2: game sometime if you're ever passing through oh my god i would love to do oh, that. We i have probably played played play online nowadays.
3: Probably yeah, nowadays yeah i got a game i got
1: one in my closet
2: risk, risk yeah I well, we should bring yeah. it to the studio
1: i will yeah, yeah i'll yeah, destroy
2: uh, it when i'm drinking
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I'm assuming I'm a, I'm a, a related to him. I think there's there's a bank account somewhere with you know a bunch of gold. <laughs> and I just need to a prove something to get it. Yeah, but no, you never know. It would be it'd be cool. That's for sure. So you
3: got a great voice and a great uh, storytelling vibe here for your show. I'm glad uh, glad it's working out for you.
1: Yeah, things so. it's it's been great so far. I didn't you know I was thinking my best case scenario is I'd have a hundred friends who'd listen maybe. And it's, um, none of my friends do listen, but a bunch of other people do.
3: That's great. So yeah. Well, it's, it's a that. good, it's a good, you know, variety of
1: topics as well. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm kind of thinking of it as like the TV show on mysteries. So I'll do like a paranormal story, missing person, some weird, you know, I have a psychic on or something. So I'm just kind of trying all different topics. So it's for, cause really for me, I just don't want it to get boring. Cause it's a lot of, as you both know, it's a lot of work to put a podcast together and uh, so, so I need it to be fun for me because really that's what I'm doing. It's just kind of an excuse for me to look up cool stuff on the internet and go to the library and take out cool books. Yeah. And then communicate about it. Yeah, exactly. Because you yeah. you find like-minded people just like connecting with you, with you two. I'd never uh, had been in touch with you had it not been for my podcast. And I know a whole bunch of other people that are interesting, be it, you know, UFO researchers that I met through my podcast, or I talked earlier about the paranormal investigation team that I'm going with this Saturday all that's just stuff that's just kind of, you know, just because of uh, getting into it with the podcast. So I'm absolutely enjoying it despite it being a ton of work. And at times it is an absolute pain in the ass, but
3: yeah, that's great. Yeah. We found that too. We're meeting lots of local friends as well as like just online friends from around the world. It's pretty
1: cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to keep in touch and um, do do this. It's a yeah I'd, I'd love to have you on my show and once uh next time i have a topic that uh, that you'd be interested in I'll, I'll get in touch with you by email and it would be great to have you on the nighttime podcast that's for sure
3: yeah for sure and, and yeah, anytime uh, and we'll link to you know all this in the show notes as well and
1: check it out yeah check it out people do
3: you got anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up
1: no, just, uh, I'll invite any of your listeners that are interested in hearing about Atlantic Canada to find me on iTunes or on nighttimepodcast.com And I thank you both for having me. It was great talking to you. I really enjoy your show. And I also enjoy that it's another, uh, you're another Canadian production that are, that's covering some really cool stuff. So it's, uh, it's cool that there's at least two of us doing this. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to talking to you again.
2: Definitely, Jordan. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That was a fun one for me. I really like the story ones like that. So, my pleasure. It was crossed a few off the list. Next time we can get into a few more. Yeah, uh, I
1: got plenty.
3: All right, buddy. Thanks. Have a good. Uh, have a good day. Have a good night.
1: Yeah, you as well. I'll, should I stick around or hang up? Hang up. All right. Okay. It's great talking to you both, Darren right. and Graham. Take care. Take care. Bye bye.
2: And that was our chat with Jordan Bone Party.
3: Yeah, that was Bonaparte.
2: Fun. Or that was maybe great. Bonaparte.
3: He sounds like Greg Carwood, eh? A
2: little think? bit, yeah. Hey? He, I did notice a little bit of uh, Greg Carwood. Yeah, I couldn't
3: believe when I was listening. He's like the Eastern Canadian Greg Carwood.
2: Yeah. They should get
3: together. Yeah, they should.
2: No, that was a fun one. I really enjoyed that one. I like those uh, storytelling ones. We crossed a few off the list, you know, a few stories we've been wanting to talk about. Totally, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. He was really really uh, well, uh, well-spoken on it all, too, so... I'd love to have him on again down the road and, and tell a few more stories.
3: Yeah. Yeah, good, good Canadian myths and stories. Yeah, Canadian
2: twist, you know. Yeah. Don't have that too much. So, yeah, big thanks to Jordan for coming on the show. Uh, head, check out the show notes. Head on over and uh, have a listen.
3: You know, he's farther away from us than Athens is to Lisbon. He's nothing to me. No, like the, from coast to coast in Europe, it's it's closer than... Us, we're bigger than Europe. Wait, yeah,
2: yeah, quite a bit bigger than Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> all right, guys, check out uh, the show notes for all the links on the ways to help the show. Check out uh, grayamerica.ca/support for all the different monthly options on how you can support the show. A uh, few new subscribers lately. I like to see it. So. Yeah,
3: Instagram as well yeah
2: you can get everything there from a buck a month which would be I guess the price of about what can you get for three cents nowadays anyway, it's about three cents three cents a day <laughs> <laughs> for three cents a day you can support the grammar show right up to thirty three thirty three a month so uh, and if uh, of course if you do oh shit, I still owe somebody a custom subscription I'll check that oh, out yeah, so right. if you if you if you don't see a number there's some uh, we play around with some numbers in the subscriptions. If you see a number or if you want a number you don't see there, just let me know and I'll email you a custom one. Um
3: That's cool. And if and if you forget, just keep reminding us. That's right, because we
2: tend to forget things. We're a two well, actually I shouldn't say we're a two person operation. We've got a lot of,
3: a lot of people helping outside
2: out. help, which is another way you can support the show. You can send us episode artwork, uh music, episodes, jingles. Music jingles. Stories. Stories.
3: Experiences.
2: That too. Well, voicemail voicemail yeah we got a voicemail the
3: other day postcards I haven't got PO postcard box. in a
2: while yet yeah we did get some uh cookies some yeah. girl guide cookies yeah they were delicious
3: yeah they were really good <laughs> actually they were way better send than the canadian co- send girl, guide, girl cookies. guide
2: cookies <laughs> yeah thanks and spam, um, and spam. the
3: teriyaki yeah. spam we're... on the desk
2: i almost donated and spam the spam gram. donated it uh, i actually meant to but then i forgot to who when I brought the stuff for the Fort Mac,
3: Oh. I was no, gonna bring this back. That. That's for us.
2: <laughs> In case of emergency, he eats bath. <laughs> That's for us. <laughs> <coughs> all right, guys, big thank to thanks to Jordan for coming on the show. Uh, hit up the show notes for all the stuff. Tell your friends about the show. Sign people up for the newsletter. And I think that's it, eh? Anything else?
3: No, I think that's about it. Yeah, oh, okay. lots of stuff to do. Yeah. Start, yeah. I know, Instagram.
2: Instagram. Yeah. In- Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. controlled
0: by the government. The kids <laughs> are the ones suffering. Straight facts, the impact. Impacts all around front, back. What they see, they believe. The children, fragile and willing, are easy to take. Manipulate or recreate while we are wait. Go ahead, let them go, huh? Go ahead, let them go, huh? Go ahead, let them go, huh? Go ahead, let them go. True crime. From blind to your mind, I'm a rare kind. It's a wear time through a fair rhyme. Composed pictures eye open scriptures on how easy they will get you before mrs. and mister. This is what I remember. Now in my mind we were in her. back in school. All the girls like a bad dude. So dudes do like a bad dude. Do dude, dudes do dude, do dude, too? Wanting a bad chick too. Go ahead, The mixed with sex gets average to sick Through thick hips and throttle grips Sucked in quick, the stuck addicts control the radics For a piece of plastic I'm like, quick son, there's more to the addiction It's to be number one, imagine the fun The best of everyone, is a life of all the end I'm like, hardly man, you know how much work it takes To be great, don't be a fake Go ahead, let him go Huh? Go ahead, let hype they're not right to use the crowd like sheep little bo peep you know my fleet grade a elite knowledge when i speak to so bring continuous heat y'all know the rap scene highest what drunk on the lean my raps like mr clean so both side seen. these words save young teens hopefully the dream so when you see a whack act trying to rap forget that go ahead let him go